Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Does the public understand just how much trouble the president is in? To believe that the president isn't compromised requires such a leap of faith. I think we have all the proof we need of a scandal that's uh, arguably worse than Watergate. Do we know if there is still this belief and aspect that the president is working for the Russians? I can't answer that. The U.S. president possibly working for the Russians. Possibly an unwitting pawn. Now here's what the president said when asked if he was a secret Russian agent. The president did not directly answer the question. Why not just say no if that's the answer? There is tons of proof of potential collusion. We have dramatic evidence of collusion. How, how is it not collusion? How is all of that not collusion? The collusion piece of this, piece by piece, starting to be built out. A political hurricane is out there at sea for him. We'll call it Hurricane Vladimir, if you will. Donald Trump knows the noose is tightening. The noose is tightening. The the noose is tightening, if you will. The noose is tightening around the president. The noose is tightening. And I think they're shocked that the noose is tightening. And that people might go to jail. He knows he and POTUS are going to prison. Well, I think they're all going to end up together in prison. And maybe that's a good thing. Oh, my God. (laughs) You might be in legal jeopardy because of the Mueller investigation. But are you scared that you could go to jail? Uh, The walls appear to be closing in on the president. The investigative walls are closing in. He feels the walls closing in. The walls are closing in. Trump resigns, quote, once Mueller closes in on him and the family. Anybody that writes an op-ed and suggests that Donald Trump has not put himself directly in the target of an obstruction charge is just fooling themselves and some very, very stupid, ill-informed readers. The stack of counts of obstruction of justice that could be fatal to the Trump presidency. The House is going to have little choice the way this is going other than to start impeachment proceedings. The subpoena could relate to two areas of the probe that might ultimately lead to Trump's impeachment. They are the kind of offenses uh, that would call for impeachment hearings. If someone walked in my office and said I was a subject of a multi-year criminal investigation led by former FBI Director Robert Mueller, I'd wet my pants. Mueller reminds me of the starfish which gets itself tightly around the clam and uses all its stuff to weaken and pry open the clam. Now this is a battle to the death as far as the clam is concerned. If the starfish is able to open him even a little bit, he can get him open all the way. And that's it, of course, for the clam. He's the starfish's lunch. Breaking news. A bombshell. Today is a turning point. Today was historically bad for President Trump. Today was a turning point. A turning point. We're at a turning point here. The beginning of the end for the Trump presidency. We have another bombshell. Mike Pence might have to assume the office of the presidency. Rumblings of the word impeachment. Breaking news. Another bombshell out of the White House. I believe this is the beginning of the end. I do too. It's really the beginning of the end. He may be feeling the walls closing in on him. All the walls closing in on him. The walls closing in in on him. Breaking news, a new bombshell. One astrologer says this means the beginning of the end for President Donald Trump. Trump will resign. Trump is going to resign. Is this the tipping point? I know we've said it over and over. You think this is a tipping point? And over and over. This is a tipping point. And over and over. Breaking news, President Trump off the rails. There's the beginning of the end today. The beginning of the end. Breaking news tonight, new bombshell. This is the beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. The walls are closing in. The walls closing in. The walls closing in. Breaking overnight bombshell. This is a very dramatic day and I think it might be near a tipping point. Do you think this is a tipping point? 
December 1st, 2017, you can mark it down. This is the day that everything changed. The beginning of the end? Beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. We begin tonight with the bombshell. Donald Trump is in a lot of trouble. Trump is in trouble. The president will resign. Another hour, another bombshell. This is a tipping point. Trump's going down. This president could be impeached. Resignation. Resignation. I don't think this president is going to serve out his term. Mr. Trump will not serve out his term. He will not serve out his term. No way. Know how. Breaking news. An absolute bond. Donald Trump is not. He's done. And it's over. It's over. The wall's closing in. The wall's closing in. This is going to be the Achilles Hill. Breaking news tonight. I expect Trump to depart. This week will be the watershed week. Trump is in big trouble. Trump's in a lot of trouble. It's a sign of a terrified old man who feels the walls closing in. The walls are increasingly closing in on him. Tonight the walls are closing in. Today changed everything. This is the beginning of the end. Today the biggest tipping point for the Trump administration. What has historic day, the bombshells. He's underwater. He feels the walls closing in. Turning point. We may be at a tipping point. It's the beginning of the end. The beginning of the end. Another bombshell. 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 This is a bombshell. It is. And welcome back to Flower Politic Podcast. It is the 28th of March, year of our Lord, 2019. Went a day early. So got stuffs to do. And that, of course, was our media. One more time. Our fire for effect today going to be a large chunk of still Russia, Green New Deal, uh, we're going to talk over Smollett, oh my god, and then news, social media nuggets, and a small violet left, which is part of our This Is America uh, on the back end, um, but before I started, I want to do some personal stuff, um, I think I did it last year, year before, I think I've done it every year I've had the podcast, but um, next Tuesday is my 32nd anniversary. And I'm a braggart on anniversaries just because um, I think I was born in a time when, you know, most people, not most, but quite a few of us had divorced families. Um, My parents divorced when I was nine. My wife's divorced when she was in her 20s. Um, But most of my friends had divorced parents. And... I brag because it's a testament. Um, in September, really September 11th, 1986, a dumb young me uh, walked into a nightclub and this beautiful girl asked him to dance. I danced once with her and then I walked away because she was too pretty. A couple months later, I bump into that same girl in a mall. She's working there. I'm just walking around and... We meet up that night, and the rest is history. We've been through all the things you can go through, almost a lost a child, infidelity, and separation that most marriages wouldn't make it through. But we made it. And it was because we both invested in the concept, till death do you part. Um, And by no means do I mean that there aren't divorces that Makes sense. Um, on the backside of my parents, I, I realized that my paternal father, a person I don't even know, was a steaming pile of shit as a man, a husband, and a father. So my mother divorcing him was probably the best thing she could have ever done for her life and for us kids. Um, my stepfather at the time was no, you know, perfect. You know, he wasn't the Brady Bunch. He had his own problems, but he raised us as if we were his own. 
And that was three of us. Plus the two we already had, plus Matt in Oregon. And you know what? We all made it. We're all successful. We got out into the world. We never went to bed hungry. So what he didn't give an emotional support, he made up in just being there, which was way more than my real father ever did. Um, So some divorces are right, but in our case, it took a lot of work and a lot of commitment and a lot of just, hey, we're going to do the, we're going to do the whole thing. We're going to run this thing out. Even when there's times that I'm sure she hated me and there were times that I was super distance, distant, uh, especially when I, you know, came back from Korea, went straight to a war, went straight to California. I was pretty much gone four and a half years and, you know, I'd gotten so used to being alone, it was hard to be around other people. I, I literally had a little institutionalization, like a death row inmate, when I came back to this house in 2005. And it took a lot of work. But all of a sudden, the kids were gone. We were nesters. We rekindled our love. We redid our vows. That was seven years ago. That's how fast it goes. So... I want to take the time to recognize it. I want to take the time, even though she doesn't listen, to say how important Gigi is to me. How she is my whole life. My best friend. And as the older you get, it's the journey. I mean, it's just the journey. I will. We will both take time next Tuesday to go back and just talk. We always do it and reminisce about all the years... All the trials and tribulations, the crappy houses, the broken cars, the fucking washing machine that broke at the worst possible time. And it always goes back to two kids who were renting a room for $400 from some guy in Alaska, because we had, you know, I had proposed, laying in bed, which really wasn't a bed, it was a box spring on some milk crates. There was no heat in the room. Once again, let me say it again, it was Alaska eating Muldoon subs, a place that doesn't exist. But in our mind's memory, those meatball subs were the best subs ever. We've never replicated it. We've never purchased it. We've never made it because that was the big deal. That was our food for the day, pretty much, because we're both broke. I was an E3. I wasn't making anything and she was working at a mall. So um, we'll end up back in that bed and talk about those times when it didn't matter what it was happening in the rest of the world. It all just dissolved away. It was two kids in love. And from my perspective, and I think hers, 32 years later, it's still the same. So let's fire for effect.
the kids can see democracy in action, this time free from Russian intervention. <gasps> Ugh, don't remind me. Over here is where we rig every American election. Collusion. Russia, collusion. And by the way, no collusion. The only collusion is the collusion Uh, with the Democrats and the Russians. You can look at what's going on. President Trump. It's a real problem. We don't want to keep you. I'm sure you have a lot of important things to do besides talking to us. Oh, no, wait, wait, wait. I want to hear more about the witch hunt. We had a vibrant conversation of me telling him exactly what to say and do. To cover my keister, all the words I'm about to say can be swapped out later for other words. Wood could become wooden. Collude could become culotta. How am I doing? Am I getting it right? Putin has graciously invited Robert Mueller's entire team to Russia. Mueller doesn't have to do the dishes, worry about why his meals are glowing in the dark. He's on vacation. Oh, look at him. He's a big boy at the big press conference, doing everything that the Putin wants. Obstructing justice, perjury, emoluments, Russian puppetry. Treason is also a crime. Republicans, Democrats, in betweeners, looking for high crimes and It's Russia Collusion Day! Good morning, little fella. <laughs> How do you say Russia Collusion in bird? I know that! I'm not stupid! Don, your wife Vanessa wants a separation! That's okay. Today is Russia Collusion Day. I'm meeting with one of Vladimir Putin's lady lawyers. She has dirt on Hillary Clinton. Thanks for doing what we specifically talked about! It's Russia Collusion Day! You realize I'm Maggie Haberman from the New York Times? Happy Russia Collusion Day, Don. (gasps) The P-Tape? All right, we're competing with Russian hookers and golden showers. Not like you asked Russian hookers to pee on you or something. (laughs) Do you think President Trump, he's your friend, do you think he might have had a golden shower? Would surprise me. Oh, what would you do if someone like Robert Mueller was investigating you? Obviously have him killed. Wow, well, we're not there yet, but it seems like we're getting there. Do you really have the pee tape? (laughs) You do have it. Oh, my God, this is so embarrassing. Help yourself to all of Ukraine because I ain't doing nothing. We had an anonymous source who sent us something. It's a tape. A tape that a lot of people think actually exists. (gasps) The P-tape? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Have you seen it? Have you seen it? Where is it? Want me to do it? No. I will. level infiltration of our government in our history and i intend to do everything in my power to hold them accountable and by the way no collusion ah hollywood something we missed on the last show was our hollywood stars the people we're supposed to look up to there are betters so we must listen to them and i wanted to go down a list of the 50 jackasses that told us he was a Russian agent. 
Bette Midler. Oh, the good old days. Asked to be trusted U.S. intelligence agencies, which concluded the Russian interference in 2016 election. He said he had been told by a CIA chief that it was Russia, but he saw no reason to believe it. He's a traitor. He has sold himself, and soon he will sell the U.S. Rosie O'Donnell. All the pictures. Michael Moore. Trump. They said, I think it's Russia. I have President Putin standing here. He just said it's not Russia. I will say this. I do not see any reason why it should be Russia. Arrest Trump when Air Force One lands. John Cusack. It's been treasonous from day one. Barbara Streisand. Trump's press conference with Putin was frightening ubiquitous. Jeffrey Wright. Kim Jong-un, please come through those doors. Join Trump and Putin on this treason summit stage. Chris Evans. This moron, puppet, coward, sided with Putin over our own intelligence agency. Bill Maher. Rob Reiner. Donald Trump is committing treason, I say. Jim Carrey. Sweet God, Lord Jesus. I'm not even going to read his shit because all those damn disgusting photos. The Hulk. Mark Ruffalo. Trump, Putin, 2020. We are no longer running against GOP. We are running against Russia. Dan Pfeiffer. Eh, I don't really count him because he's a fucking lackey. Adam Scott. Impossible to overstate on insane this is. Proof that Russia is actively supporting Trump and vice versa. Judge Apto. It's like a Nixon. And it goes on about Watergate. Uh, Deborah Messing. Oh, the unhinged one. And definitely in internment camps with their new policy destroying all attempts to protect our environment. Yes, the water you purported to care about. Endangering animals, taking away women, access to health care, and legal abortion, trying to block POC from voting with extreme judges who will support gerrymandering efforts, not to mention destroying all good with all... We're crazy. I have a post one, too. You want to hear that? Mmm... The Mueller investigation was not a witch hunt, a waste of time, a fishing expedition. It revealed very important and serious information about Russia's attempt to control our election. If you can look at this group of people who are guilty of felonies and say investigations like these should never happen again, or that the findings are insignificant, you're either being willfully ignorant or you don't care about our democracy. And none of that was why the special investigator was called. None of the indictments are related to core issues of the investigation. Incorrect. Many who are connected to POTUS pled guilty to trying to aid Russia in affecting perfecting elections. That's what she, I don't know what that's supposed to say. Um, hey, Deborah, you and your vagina cupcakes were wrong. Chelsea Handler, not reading her shit. We've done too much of it. Brian Krasestein, the President of the United States just tweeted an attack on NATO. Oh my God. Cher, we covered her. Wanda Sykes covered her. Michael Keaton, Patricia Arquette. Luke Skywalker, no, Mark Hamill. Today, July 16th, 2018, a date that will live in infamy. The United States of America was suddenly deliberately attacked and betrayed by our president. Oh, my God. Ron Perlman, Stephen King, John Legend, John Lugiziamo, Sophia Bush, Piper Parabo. Today, Trump sided with Russia. Russia interference with the midterm election is clear, plus pleasant danger to our electoral system of government. They sure use a lot of Stephen... Um, not Stephen King, Tom Camp Clancy t- titles, that is adhering to their enemies in the treason section of the Constitution and impeachable events. Jonathan Van Ness, Billy Eichner, that little twat, Patton Oswalt, twat, Zach Branoff, Jake Tapper, the State Department got back to me with answers to my questions about the sanctions against Russia that the Trump team has struggled to implement on time. Here are the Q&As attributed to State Department spokesman. And Zach Branoff said, treason is trending! Oh my God! 
Tom Arnold, Joshua Malia, Josh Gad, Ike Barksonhall, VS, Adam McKay, Michael Ian Black. Man, we haven't talked about him for a while. He was really into it. Josh Groban. No pretty in pink. Molly Ringwald. If you still would like to live in the United States of America instead of Russia, make your voice heard. Moby, a has-been that was really famous during the Bush administration because he said he was a Nazi too. Jason Alexander, James L. Brooks, and Wendell Pierce. And then there was Colbert, which was in our lead-in sound. Here's his after comments. Devante from the Ed Sullivan Theater in New York City, it's Stephen one and all to the late show i'm your host stephen colbert now folks how, how was everybody's weekend you have a good weekend yeah, yeah. you have a good weekend oh, yeah. i had great, a pretty good weekend. weekend not as good as donald trump's weekend but still pretty good uh, now here's the deal in case you don't know in case you're coming to us from under your rock um i hope you're all sitting down and and you all are good out there too um, because this weekend we received some troubling news our president is not a Russian asset <laughs> now it, it just feels strange to say now I say troubling I say troubling news because if Trump is not working with the Russians then what the hell is wrong with him <laughs> If they don't, if they don't have anything on him, why does he keep saying nice things about Vladimir Putin? It's like if at the end of the Manchurian Candidate, when they show him the Queen of Diamonds, the guy's like, "Put away the car, don't need it." <laughs> Queen of Clubs, Jack of Diamonds, Subway Sandwich, Punch Card, whatever. I'm on board. <laughs> so here's where we are. Here's where we are. After almost two years, in which we all age ten, on. <laughs> On Friday, Robert Mueller turned in his report to Attorney General and white-collar Fred Flintstone, William Barr. <laughs> what was in it? What was in it? Friday around 5, something like that? What was in it? Nobody knew. Until yesterday, when Barr released a four-page letter summarizing it. It was like the Cliff Notes, or uh, more like, I want to jump off a Cliff Notes. Because <laughs> the biggest bombshell, according to Barr, is that Mueller's report concluded... The Trump campaign did not collude with Russia to influence the 2016 election. Which brings us to our new ongoing segment. Oh, all right then. Day one. This is, shall we say, anticlimactic. It's like saying, guess what, kids? Santa came, and he brought mostly nothing. In fact, <laughs> Santa took his sack of presents and handed them over to some guy named Bill. And Bill's like, I'll give you a summary of the gifts. <laughs> oh, and, and by the way, this Bill guy got his job by writing a 19-page memo about how Christmas is illegal. 
Now, we've been following uh, this Mueller investigation for two years. I think we even mentioned it on the show a couple of times. And this is the finale, okay? This is worse than the finale of Lost. Wow. Wow. I mean, what, what about the smoke monster? Was it real or not? And if not, why have so many members of Trump's campaign pled guilty to lying about meeting with the smoke monster? I, I, I don't understand. Why couldn't this have been like the ending of Seinfeld? Still, still disappointing, but at least they're all in jail. Now, oh my. oh my. So now that Barr says, that Mueller says, there's no proof of collusion, a lot of people want Trump's critics to apologize. I will start. I have said one or two things about Donald Trump. Like how he's a terrible president. So, uh, you know, I'm just going to bite the bullet and, and say it. Mr. President, if you're watching, and uh, I know you are, um, I'm sorry that you're a terrible president. That was easy. Huh? You know, I've talked about it on the show before. But as we go through this, I'm not gloating. I'm pointing out the fact that liberals have no honor. They have no honor. You know, I have just fucking hated people. Hated them. But when I was wrong, I admitted I was wrong. I remember when I got out of the Army, I worked for a lady who was getting bashed because she wouldn't hire people that were decent. And they never worked out, so she hires me, even though she doesn't want me, because she's afraid that I might take her job, and that was her whole thing. She had been in a position for over 25 fucking years. Same manager. She had moved up to be a director, but, you know, she just didn't play well with others. And long story short, she treated me like shit. I was a data input monkey. I would do all the hard work, and she would take you know, we we redid a whole store. It was a gigantic store. It was like 15,000 square feet. Not like a Walmart, but it's pretty big for a military specialty store. And the big guy comes in and goes, well, you need some light bulbs here. Yeah, Tony hasn't done that yet. Oh, this looks great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we thought that was going to look good. Me and one of the girls did this. And, and literally, right in front of me, I was with her. She did nothing. I did it. But she took the credit for the good shit. She bashed me for anything that was wrong. It didn't work. I ended up being her boss just like a year later. But the point being is, I hate that lady. And then when I started working with her, she just fought me on everything. I I could say, I'm going to make sure every associate gets a raise. Oh, that's bullshit. That's a waste of money. That's how she played every rollout I did from email, because they didn't collect emails, to, you know, website improvement. I mean, I got all this shit done. She fought me on everything. But at the very end, when she was going down for one of her employees embezzling over $200,000 over 10 years, yeah, literally, She was claiming she was sewing things that she wasn't. And she had, you know, she herself had erected this commission thing that nobody would talk about. And I brought it up and the CEO, I don't talk about CEO was her friend. But when I get behind closed doors with the CFO and my boss and go, you're selling things for free. 
because you're giving the seamstress the all the profit. The cost for the item's a dollar. We sell it for four dollars, and you're giving the other three to this lady. What? Yeah, that's the commission they set up. So everything this person touched, they got all this money, and she started lying. She was saying she was doing everything, and then we had like three seamstresses. So, I mean, it was just a total lie. Anyway, when she was getting ready to go down, I could have been the guy standing there going, you're an evil, heartless bitch. I said, you know, she's given 25 fucking years this 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 country, sound like I'm in the army again, um, to this company. Maybe she didn't know. Maybe we shouldn't let her go. She just get a stern counseling, and we should disband the commission program. They fired her, but I didn't do that because, you know, it would have been vindictive. Me and all her struggles with me had nothing to do with the situation right there. And I know it's a crappy example, but it just came off the top of my head. Liberals can't do that. Liberals believe they're the only right people in the room. They think they're the smartest, and they think their way is the only way. They're spoiled, petulant little school children. So nobody's going to get up there and go, I was wrong. You know, the, the Daily Wire, reminder, WAPO and New York Times won Pulitzers for Russian collusion reporting. From the award for deeply sourced, relentlessly reported coverage in the public interest that dramatically furthered the nation's understanding of the Russian interference of the 2016 presidential election and its connection to the Trump campaign, the president-elect's transition team and its eventual administration. The New York Times entry submitted in this category was moved into contention by the board and then jointly awarded the prize with WAPO. It was wrong. You think they're going to hand back the awards? No. How did the New York Times act? New York Times not enjoying Mueller time, pouncing GOP, blaming Barr, changing subjects. Now it's not about collusion, it's obstruction. Washington Post, serious journalists should be proud of Russian collusion coverage. Mm -hmm. That's their article. I'm not reading it. That's their article. E.J. Dion for the Washington Post fiercely spins Mueller's report conclusions. He spun it. There's an odd discrepancy between the language Barr uses and what he quotes the reporter saying. Barr says the special counsel investigation did not find the Trump campaign or anyone associated with the conspired to coordinate with Russian effort to influence the 2016 U.S. presidential election. He quotes Mueller as saying the investigation did not establish that a member. It's so bad, CBS reporter calls out the media. Emmy award-winning investigative journalist and former CBS reporter who went rogue, Cheryl Ackeson, called out her fellow media member. She's got some tweet screeds that are just like I'm saying it. It was horrible. They were wrong. Britt Hume and Ken Dillian are the only two I can find that went on, and I know Brett Hume was from Fox, but he was a news guy on Fox, and Ken Dillian is gender neutral, for Christ's sake. He can get no fucking liberal. Well, I think we should all welcome any effort to go back and find out exactly how this debacle was launched. When I say debacle, I'm talking about the political accusation of collusion, which occupied our media and our politics for now two years in all the ways that have been described, leading to this enormous investigation, which has now cleared the president on this whole collusion narrative. Not only does pe- do people like Lindsey Graham need to look into FBI and Justice Department behavior leading up to this getting started, 
But we in this business, in our business, Sandra, need to look back and say, how in the world did several major news organs, networks, newspapers, and so on, devote so much time to what turned out to be utterly baseless speculation about the most serious crime you could imagine mounting in some cases in the accusations we heard to treason. It is the worst journalistic debacle of my lifetime. I've been in this business about 50 years. Um, I've never seen anything quite this bad last this long. It was a terrible thing. It needs to be investigated. There needs to be a lot of soul searching among many leading members of the media today and going forward. Finally, Brett, are you seeing any sort of admission on that front, um, on the Alas, part of Democrats, uh, the media, go ahead. Alas, I am not. I'm seeing a handful of honest uh, liberal journalists who have no use for Trump agreeing that this was bad reporting all the way, and some of them have been doing it for some time. Uh, the catalog of baseless speculation and uh, wild accusation is very long indeed, um, and I'm seeing a, a, a very few. Uh, signs of any real introspection. Everybody's now moving on to, oh, well, there may be a possibility of obstruction of justice. I think that's likely to turn out to be yet another wild goose chase. Um, and as Trey Gowdy c correctly noted, l the questions you heard in that, in that, uh, in that news conference that, that Lindsey Graham held did not reflect well, I think, on members of the media about, you know, where we go from here and how we got here. People who are Obama appointees who have often been skeptical about Donald Trump are finding this hard to understand, as, as many of us are who have covered this investigation for so long, because we've seen so much public evidence that raised questions. But I think we have to, you know, if, if we say we have confidence in Robert Mueller, I think we have to state loud and clear that this was a resounding vindication. It wasn't just, oh, we don't have enough evidence to file a criminal conspiracy charge. It was, we don't have evidence of coordination with the Russians. That's a big deal, because for two years we've been reporting on things that pointed in that direction and Robert Mueller took a look with 2800 search warrants and sorry 2800 subpoenas 500 search warrants and said no it's not there now at the same time this is actually this wasn't the Mueller report we got today this was the bar summary of the Mueller report we don't know what Robert Mueller has said we don't even know how long his report is on the question of okay short of a criminal conspiracy uh, what about Trump's conduct what about all those Russia contacts and the lying what explains all that was the Trump campaign manipulated by a sophisticated covert Russian operation? Were they negligent? Did the FBI warn Donald Trump and did he ignore that warning? Those are all questions that I, that I hope the Mueller report answers and I hope that Congress gets to the bottom of that and it's a, it's a valid question for congressional inquiry. But, you know, th those of us and members of the public who place stock in the idea that this was a criminal case and Robert Mueller was going to prosecute it, we have to acknowledge today that what Robert Mueller found on collusion and conspiracy was a complete vindication of the president. But they don't care. I can play an MSNBC soundbar. Right? I'm not going to. It's like 14 minutes long. Mojo, fuck it. We did good shit. Full steam ahead. We're still going to get him. Then he blasts Trump supporters for being happy that it didn't happen. John Carl, literally, we did good stuff. NBC, he's a fucking piece of shit for being vindictive. But my favorite was this one. It's the Today Show. Savannah Guthrie literally had the fucking ovaries to say, does he own Mueller an apology? And in the same vein, the vindictiveness, you're just going after people you don't like. 
What the fuck have we been doing for two fucking years? It is a, a legal clean bill of health. This letter says there's not going to be charges against the president. Okay, on both Let's of these. Let's also not forget, uh, when there is no crime and there is no collusion, it's very hard to obstruct something when there wasn't a crime. Well, that's a, a legal, a technical legal argument that may or may not have guided the decision making here. Let me ask you this. For the last two years, the president has absolutely eviscerated Bob Mueller. A lifelong public servant, a former Marine, a registered Republican, I might add. He's called him a national disgrace, discredited, a prosecutor gone rogue who oversaw a gang of thugs. In the end, this individual conducted investigation, came to a conclusion that ultimately cleared, as we just discussed, the president. Did Robert Mueller deserve better? from the president that this kind of language and behavior? Frankly, I think the American people deserved better. They didn't deserve for the election of this president to try to be Wait taken Wait a minute, but down. the president's rhetoric about a public servant doing a job. Are you kidding? The president's rhetoric matches. They are literally, the media and Democrats have called the president an agent of a foreign government. Wait, wait, wait. That we're is, talking... But that is an accusation equal to treason, which is punishable by death in this country. Well, wait a I minute. I mean, that is... You have kids, and you know that if you say, did you do this, the answer isn't, yeah, but my brother did that. So let's talk about the president's behavior. He called Robert Mueller. He, he trashed him for two years. And in the end... Mueller just did an investigation that ultimately the president considers a total exoneration of him. Did Does he owe Robert Mueller an apology for that kind of rhetoric? I think Democrats and the liberal media owe the president and they owe the American people an apology. They wasted two years and created a massive disruption and, and distraction from things that people that impact everyone's day-to-day -day life. I, I mean, let's not forget this took place under the Obama administration. You had people like Clapper and Brennan lying to Congress to perpetuate this idea of Russia collusion against the President of the United well, States. No, I think they're talking about the fact that Russia did, in fact, meddle in our elections, which is borne out by this latest report and the intelligence agencies of the U.S. And they tried to tie the President of the United States to it, which was completely false and completely wrong. I think that was the subject of the investigation, which we now have the results of. And they, yeah. they are very clear. It says no collusion. I, I, I think it's you. a shame for the American people, but we're all very glad. I think it's... Tom Gara sums up the worst part about this for the media. Not only did they want... You know... Um, there was an article I was going to play on my last podcast. I had it put in here, and I don't know who did it. I think it was Matt Taliba or something like that. Russia is this generation's WMD. And he was talking specifically to the media on how they had built up that there were WMDs. I mean, they were supporting Clinton. So Clinton, Kerry... They all got up there and said, oh, he's got fucking nukes, hydrogen bombs, everything. And then it wasn't true. Instead of saying, well, we and them were wrong, it was they lied. Bush lied, people died, remember? Well, that's the same thing now. It, they have said it's there. I mean, they have told you from June 2016, Russia and Trump are the same. They work together to steal an election. Now, don't look at that DNC election. Fuck that. Doesn't matter. They stole it. You know, Hillary's team actually did steal the election. No, Trump did it. And now it's not true. So it just ruins them. 
but to double down and show how bad it's going to be for them, and I will be tracking this for our Sunday podcast when I come back, which is the 9th or whatever the hell it is. I don't remember the date, but um, Maddo, who has consistently vied for the first or second top-rated cable news program, was 6th on Monday evening, down 500,000 viewers. 500,000 viewers. And it's going to keep going down. CNN's going to keep going down. The resistance is not going to go underground. They're not going to be watching. Now their ratings get it. Because the only reason why they had ratings, because they were singing to the 20% of the country that wants Trump to fucking be hung from a lanyard. I mean, seriously. So then there's some funny shit. Here's Tucker blasting CNN and Seltzer, and I literally, I peed a little bit in my pants listening to this. It was so good. In a fair world, CNN wouldn't call itself a news network at all. It's far less than that, and it has been for a long time. In 1996, CNN blamed the Olympic bombings in Atlanta on an entirely innocent security guard named Richard Jewell. In the end, CNN paid Jewell a settlement for slandering him, but Jewell never recovered his life. Just two years later, CNN falsely accused the United States military of murdering American defectors during the Vietnam War with sarin gas. It was a ludicrous story based on obvious lies. CNN ran it anyway because it confirmed their worldview. Three years after that, CNN implied, again on the basis of zero evidence, that a California congressman called Gary Condit had murdered one of his interns. CNN's relentless coverage helped drive Condit from office. Condit turned out to be innocent. Too late. His life and family were destroyed. Now, you'd think a news network might learn from debacles like this. And yet, under the leadership of Jeff Zucker, CNN's recklessness and its dishonesty have only accelerated. Just this past September, CNN told us that Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh was a serial gang rapist alcoholic who targeted underage girls. Then in January, they told us that a group of boys from a Catholic school in Kentucky were dangerous bigots who'd threatened a revered tribal elder Vietnam veteran purely because they hated American Indians. Every part of that claim was a lie, and CNN is now facing a $275 million lawsuit for repeating that lie. Yet CNN kept going. Just days after its Covington Catholic fraud, CNN decided to amplify yet another racially divisive hoax, Jussie Smollett's manufactured hate crime. And now this. Exactly two weeks after Smollett was indicted for telling the same lies that CNN uncritically repeated, we learned that the Russian collusion narrative, which, by the way, has formed the backbone of CNN's entire programming schedule for two years, is fake. It's a hoax. It never happened. CNN responded by congratulating itself. Jeff Zucker still runs the network. Over on CNN, Jeff Zucker dispatched his eunuch to address the channel's viewership, meaning those Americans trapped at the airport waiting for flights. You may think CNN has been lying to you relentlessly for the last two years, the eunuch explained. Not at all. CNN has done a fantastic job. None of this was our fault. We're amazing. Listen to him squeak. Reporting is what adds the most value. Finding out something new, putting out new information into the world, is the best feeling in journalism. It's the greatest value add. That's what hundreds of journalists have been doing, trying to solve pieces of this Trump-Russia puzzle. So don't be fooled by the partisans who cherry-pick the worst mistakes of individual journalists or the craziest ideas from commentators and claim that's the entire media. It's not. 
we're waiting for the facts because here is what I know. I mean, you're going to hear this from the right for the next days and weeks to come that the press has basically made all of this up to take down President Trump. But the press is just following a trail that Trump created. Mm -hmm. The greatest value add. That's how CNN sums up its role in the Russia story. Does a single person believe that? Of course not. Not one person. It's all true. They're so defensive. Tim Pool. Wow, good on CNN for just coming right out and admitting it. They don't investigate. That is what I have been saying. They basically just read press releases. Brian Seltzer? Tim, you're insulting hundreds of hardworking journalists. Oh, no, no, no. We're firefighters. We're firefighters. Ah, we're firefighters. No, you're not. You're not firefighters. Not. N-O-T. They even ran a segment where they went to talk to Heartland voters. And this is what they found. It's not only President Trump who feels vindicated from Robert Mueller's report. Some of his supporters in the nation's heartland do as well. CNN's Miguel Marquez is live in Harrison Township, Michigan, where he spoke to voters about the Russia investigation. Tell us everything, Miguel. Yeah, the all-important uh, Macomb County, Allison. Republicans here are emboldened, but even some Democrats saying perhaps it is time to move on. In the heartland, conclusions of the Mueller report so far favor the president, and his catchphrases are winning. I make of it exactly what Donald Trump said it was. It was fake news, it was a witch hunt, it was a hoax all along. Matter of fact, I think they need to investigate the people that funded the fake dossier because they're the real criminals in this. Ford auto worker Brian Pennebecker is a huge Trump fan. He helped elect the president in this vote-rich county and says the report's filings gives the president a lift. If the Democrats were smart, they would start working with President Trump instead of trying to overturn the results of the election. Uh, because, and, and in your mind, if if they do they are only going to make him stronger in places like Macomb. Absolutely, because the guy didn't do anything wrong. Michigan and Macomb County are critical to the president's re-election. In 2016, he won the state by just 10,704 votes. Macomb County and suburban Detroit voted for Obama in 2008 and 2012. It flipped for Trump big time. He won the county by more than 48,000 votes. Even Democrats here say the report's findings won't help them win back Macomb County and the state. Well, it was a little bit surprising that more wasn't revealed in this uh, report. Yanez, who has run for and held several political offices, says his fellow Democrats need to investigate less and focus on policy. I think Democrats really just need to work, roll up their sleeves and get to work on the issues that are important to, to the citizens of my city and my state. There is hope for Democrats here. The midterm saw them rebound slightly. The county narrowly backed the winning Democratic candidates in the Senate and governor's races. I was excited. John Scans, who retired from management in the auto industry, considers himself a moderate Republican. He voted for the president but could be persuaded to support Joe Biden in 2020. Do you think the Mueller report in the summary helps the president? I think it helped him a lot. I think it helped him a lot, and it got uh, rid of a, a big stigma with his followers. Have they learned at all? Have they changed? No. They're still soldiering on. 
This is a new soundbite, and it will take us to do a music break, and then we'll come back into Smollett. This is another day of their news with them saying not exonerated over and over. I I really want... I, I don't know if I want to meet people that watch CNN. Because they're so incompetent. They are so in the tank. And they spend all their time saying Fox is the biased network. Fox has three hours a day of bias network. And yes, their news sections might be tilted a little center-right. But from dawn to dusk on CNN, all you're going to hear for the next two weeks is this soundbite. He's not exonerated. Vindication on collusion, yes. Exoneration on obstruction, not so much. Total exoneration, that's not what it says in here. It is no exoneration. There's also a direct quote that says, while this report does not conclude that the president committed a crime, it also does not exonerate the president. It said it it didn't, it had, did not exonerate him. It did not exonerate him. Mueller specifically says, while this report does not conclude that the president committed a crime, it also does does not not exonerate exonerate him. him. He lied today when he said, I've been fully exonerated. He could not be exonerated. He does not exonerate. But he's not exonerated. He was not exonerated. President Trump was not exonerated. Uh, Did not exonerate the president. Mueller didn't exonerate Trump. He is not fully exonerated. Not exonerating. Specifically not exonerated. And it wasn't going to completely exonerate the president, which it didn't. Uh, So, you know, not to pat myself on the back. But I think that this does not exonerate. Does not exonerate. Does not exonerate. Does not exonerate. Did not exonerate. Doesn't exonerate. Doesn't exonerate. Does not exonerate. Does not exonerate. Doesn't exonerate. Does not exonerate President Trump either. And that's not his burden. His burden was to prosecute or not. Not to prove the president innocent. So why did he say it? It's another question we got to get the answer to. The big point is, the president's wrong again. There's a lot more to know. Again, the AG didn't use the word collusion in his summary. Why? Because collusion's not a crime, and Mueller was looking for crimes. That was his essential job. Collusion is a behavior. And there could be ample proof of that kind of behavior in Mueller's full findings. Manafort giving the poll data, Stone's efforts to get stolen emails for advantage, the Trump Tower meeting, and more. All could be folded into the counterintelligence investigation that the AG didn't even mention in his summary. Our investigation has always focused on uh, counterintelligence issues. That is, uh, is the president or anyone around him compromised in some way? That work has to go on. That's a crucial question to imagine that we don't know the answer to. Shimon Prokopes is out front live in Washington. Shimon, obviously we have this four-page summary, right? And then you have this, this, this report that we all hope we will get to see. But what, what the Chairman Schiff there is saying is the question of whether the president or anyone around him was compromised by Russia uh, is a question that was not, uh, that we still are working on. Was that even part of Mueller's investigation, answering that question? Cornered and fired, so break out the secrets. I hope you know that you were worth it all along. I'm tired, you're angry, and everyone looks blurry. I love you, I'm leaving so long. Hey, little one. Oh, 
discretion, of course. Um, we still have to work with the, the state's attorney's office. I'm sure we'll have some conversation after this. But again, at the end of the day, 
it's Mr. Smollett who committed this 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 hoax. Period. If he wanted to clear his name, the way to do that was in a court of law so that everyone could see the evidence. You all know what the bond prophet said. You know, we, we all know what it said. So, you know, I stand by the facts of what we produce. If they want to dispute those facts, then the place to do that is in court, not secrecy. I, I, I want to I'm sorry, I want to say one other thing. Mr. Smollett is still saying that he is innocent, still running down the Chicago Police Department. How dare him? How dare him? After everybody saw, and I want to remind you, this is not the superintendent's word against his. The grand jury, a sliver of the evidence, and they came to a conclusion, as did the state's attorney's office. This is not the superintendent and the detective's department word against his. And even after this whitewash, still no sense of ownership of what he's done. He says that, in fact, he is the wrong in this case. This is an unbelievable, not just whitewash of justice, this is a person now who's been let off scot-free with no sense of accountability of the moral and ethical wrong of his actions. From top to bottom, not only disperting the name of the city, but then I cannot stress that in a time when you have people bringing a moral equivalency in Virginia between bigots and those fighting bigotry, and you have a person using hate crime laws that are on the books to protect people who are minorities from violence, to then turn around and use those laws to advance your career and your financial reward? Is there no decency in this man? Mr. Mayor, do you think that the state's attorney's decision was at all politically motivated? Mayor, his attorney said was the decision at all politically motivated? Two things: one, to the state's attorney, to the state's attorney, the question about whether it was politically motivated or not is something you have to ask them because only they can answer their motivation. But I do know what the grand jury says, and I keep pointing you back to what the grand jury did when they saw just a piece of the data, and I and I think. There's not a person up here who would love to have all the information made public, let alone the two individuals who also talk. Do you think it was politically motivated? Wait a second. It's not whether I do or not. That's a question that only she can answer. I can only guess at it. To your question, Cheryl, I would just, uh, if you mind repeating it. Yes. His attorneys say that he has been vilified, that this case was, that the case against him was done He's a person. He's a person that brought this forward. Now I remind you all, it goes back to also a letter. Now he brought this case forward. He said he was a victim of a hate crime, both for his sexual orientation and for being black. The evidence came forward. A grand jury saw the evidence, realized this was a hoax, a hoax on the city, a hoax on hate crimes, a, ho- a hoax on people of good values who actually were empathetic at first and used that empathy for only one reason. Are you so, uh, only for one reason. Okay, just listen, I'm going to close on this. We just had one of the largest ceremonies for the police department in the history of the city. 297 men and women most diverse class representing all parts of this city. People from all walks of life and backgrounds and faith who said they want to serve the city and serve the values of the city and help serve others in time and need. 
They are there to uphold the law and they have the best training to do that. And I draw to you in that contrast, people of all walks of life, as I said, graduates of our public schools, kids who grew up with parents who were police officers, veterans of the armed forces who have a life of service. They were there to not only uphold the law, but the values that imbue and inform those laws. And now you have an individual who took those laws, turned them inside out, upside down, for only one thing, himself. And that, in my view, is an insult and an offense to every one of us who collectively uphold those laws because they reflect who we are as a city and because of the hate crime legislation that's federal, who they, who we are as a country. Thank you. So listen, uh, I'm sure we all know what, what occurred this morning. My personal opinion is that you all know where I stand on this. Um, do I think justice will serve? No. Where do I think justice is? I think this city is still old an apology. And, and let me digress one more. When I came on this job, I've been a cop now for about 31 years. When I came on this job, I came on with my honor, my integrity, and my reputation. If someone accused me of doing anything that would circumvent that, then I would want my day in court, period, to clear my name. I've heard that they wanted their day in court with TV cameras so America could know the truth, even though they chose to hide behind secrecy and broker a deal to circumvent the judicial system. My job as a police officer is to investigate an incident, gather the evidence, gather the facts, and present them to the state's attorney. That's what we did. I stand behind the detective's investigation. I'll let Mary Madden comment further. Good God. So there is liberal privilege. Or is this black privilege? I don't know. And before you say anything, liberals, that's fucking Rahm Emanuel. You can get no... He is Mr. Never Let a Fucking Crisis Go to Waste. Blindsided. Robert Inglis, Chicago Police tell our Schultz ABC7 that Superintendent Eddie Johnson was not told about Smollett charge being dropped today. Johnson learned about it while at a scheduled police graduation at Navy Pier. Rafael Weigel, I can tell you that Chicago police are furious over S.A. Kim Fox's decision to drop all charges against Jesse Smollett. Even if you believe all of this, Fox reclused herself over apparent conflict of interest, prompting CPD demands for a federal probe into her. For her to effectively unrecuse herself and make this call isn't going to tamp down the corruption angle. Chicago Police Union wants federal investigation into Kim Fox's handling of Smollett case. TMZ! No liberal. Jesse Smollett allies ask Kim Fox to intervene in case. Texts and emails between state attorney Kim Fox and two Jesse allies, one of which is reported to be a family member of his, have been leaked and they show that Fox was asked to intervene in the case a few days after he reported the alleged attack at Chicago PD. It appears that she did exactly that and kept Jesse Camp in the loop. The initial correspondence started when Michelle Obama's former chief of staff, Tina Tetchen, emailed Fox to say that she was reaching out on behalf of Jesse's family to express concerns they had with how the investigation of the point was being handled. Jesse had not been charged with crime yet, but it's believed Chicago PD was already doubting his story and leaking it to the press. 
Michelle Obama's former chief of staff and one-time assistant to former President Barack Obama. There's he's even a copy. Hi, Kim. Send an email to your work address, I think, as well. I wanted to give you a call on behalf of Jesse Smollett and family who I know. They have concerns about the investigation. I'm on an 8 a.m. flight to New York City, but please call me before then. I land at 10.15 Chicago time. My cell is blank. Many thanks. Sue J.L. Sue L.J. Sorry. This is Michelle Obama's fingerprints all over it. The assistant prosecutor said he was not exonerated. Police conclusion stands. The Obamas were all over this. They think there's a different justice system for them. BNL News. Breaking. Michelle Obama knew Jesse Smollett very well. And Michelle, former chief of staff, Tina Tetchen, check, I don't know what's her name, T-C-H-E-N, reached out to Kim Fox about the Smollett case. Julie Bosden, a local. New from Chicago, Joe Magnet, the first assistant state attorney, made the final decision to drop the charge against Jesse Smollett, said in an interview, we didn't exonerate him. Magnet's the assistant state attorney, said he saw no problem with the police investigation or the evidence against Smollett. The charges against Smollett were dropped and returned for his agreement to do community service, a whole seven hours he already did, and for forfeiting his bond, a whole $10,000. More from the assistant state attorney. Here's the thing, we work to prioritize violent crimes and drivers of violent crime. Public safety is our number one priority. I don't see Jesse Smollett as a threat to public safety. We stand behind the investigation. We stand behind the decision to charge him. We stand behind the charges in the case. The mere fact that it was disposed of in an alternative manner does not mean that there was any problems or infirmities in the case. So who do you think defends him? Fucking CNN, the most liberal name in news. From a source in the Smollett camp, this is Brian Seltzer, in two and a half weeks, there's a turnaround because he is innocent and was the victim of a hate crime that he put on himself. Seltzer pins a story getting political on TMZ for reporting Smollett's and attackers had mega hats. Smollett told police of the world, world attacker said this is mega country and explicitly charged he was targeted because he's anti-Trump, all from Brian Seltzer just now. The narrative has once again changed. He's gone from victim to villain back to victim. It's been very confusing. Matt Walsh. Come on, Brian. This is BS Carly statement. You know it. Smollett's lawyers admit that his friends are the ones attacked him. That proves beyond the shadow of a doubt that Smollett lied. RB Pundit was more like me. The dudes are on fucking tape buying red hats. My God, Seltzer's the biggest piece of shit on TV. So how'd the Hill handle it? Oh, because we got media response. Conservatives outraged. They pounced after Jesse Smollett charges dropped. Leftist privilege. Their article, conservative media, reacted with shock and surprise on social media following the bombshell news out of Chicago that charges against Empire actor Jesse Smollett would drop. Prosecutors dropped charge against 36-year-old former and activist, which included disorderly conduct for allegedly filing a false report after he informed Chicago police he was a victim of a racist and homophobic attack on January. The byline on this article, you see conservatives are the real story here. And more importantly, conservatives pouncing. Mortis. Not just conservatives, I have no idea why with all of this evidence the charges were dropped. The Chicago Police Department is conservatives? Did they pounce like Rom and the majority DNC run Chicago crime syndicate? Delete your account! Another person's. Since when is Emmanuel a conservative? And then we go to the airwaves. And remember, 
Everybody in Chicago is racist, even though a large percentage of the police force is African American. This is a collision, right? It's a collision of celebrity it and has crime been from the beginning. And, and a controversial police department. Uh, it's a collision of race and, and celebrity and all these factors. And yes. politics. And, and so messy as a result. It was because politics an anonymous too. source said to TMZ that Smollett said they were wearing MAGA hats. Yeah. And this was a Trump supporter attack against a black man. It became political within a few minutes. And, uh, and that's what's made this even harder to, to get to the truth about. There's been so much pressure on the police, partly because it became political. And, of course, whenever there's celebrity involved, uh, it takes on a life yes, of its own. It does. Yeah, as we've said, th th this was political from the beginning, complicated from the beginning. Uh, and we can go back to four simple words that we probably don't say often enough. Innocent until proven guilty. There's been a rush to judgment about this case in multiple directions. But I do think we will see Smollett get back to work uh, because the, the narrative has once again changed from victim uh, you know, to villain, back to victim. It's been very confusing. As, as Ryan was saying, uh, people don't know what to believe, and we may never really know what happened on the street that night in Chicago. Uh, but for his fans, for his friends, this is a triumphant moment uh, that he can now get back to what he wants to do, which is work. Right. Uh, the Fox Network, the studio, the Empire cast and crew all, all had his back, supported him very strongly. Uh, th that continued as it became a mystery about what happened and whether he had made this up. The network continued to support him, but started to pull back a little bit in those public statements. Uh, right now, there's no new comment from Fox, but this is a key part of the story, Nia, because uh, I, I do think he just wants to get back to work. That's what a, a friend of Smollett just said to me. He wants to act. He wants to get back to work. He had actually been taken off two of the episodes of Empire. His, his future uh, as a Hollywood actor has been in limbo for the past few weeks. So his lawyers have been trying to get to this point so that he can return to work. Uh, so far, no comment from the network. But I do think we will see Smollett get back to work uh, because the, the narrative has once again changed from victim uh, you know, to villain back to victim. It's been very confusing. As, as Ryan was saying, uh, people don't know what to believe, and we may never really know what happened on the street that night in Chicago. Uh, but for his fans, for his friends, this is a triumphant moment uh, that he can now get back to what he wants to do, which is work. And I'm, I'm going to bring back uh, legal analyst Joey Jackson here. One of the things you heard from his attorney there was she was... It sure does. I mean, this is surprising in one hand and, and not surprising on the other. It's surprising in the sense where, uh, as you know, Professor Butler just outlined, you had uh, a police chief, you had a judge, you had so many people sort of coming down on Jesse and saying that, you know, he was charged with a 16-count indictment and what he had done was so terrible. But on the other hand, which is something I wrote about in, in an article I wrote for Essence.com, uh, Chicago PD uh, is is known for uh, uh, basically having problems in terms of being uh, you know forthright and truthful, and so uh, you know while um, his allegations may have been met with support with with uh, concern and whatever, um, you know it, it just it just was surprising to me that no one questioned the manner in which information was leaked and what you know once this incident occurred. Um, 
the uh, indictment appeared to be excessive. It appeared to be vindictive, given the circumstances. And I think, you know, uh, Professor Butler was right to say that this was not a serious crime when compared to other crimes. And yet you had this, you know, police chief come out and you had a full press conference. And you would have thought that, you know, five, six people had been killed, although that was not the case. Um, The indictment included one count for each alleged lie that Smollett told the police during his two interviews. um, As the grand jury essentially counted each part of his story individually. Um, you know, and what's interesting too is uh, Jesse, one of Jesse Smollett's attorneys, Mark Garagos, just yesterday named as an unindicted co-conspirator in uh, the extortion case against attorney Michael Avenatti. So the timing of this, I think, is good for Jesse because, you know, there were some questions as to whether or not uh, his representation by Mark Garagos would taint him uh, as a defendant. So I think the timing of this is good for him. He gets to sort of uh, walk away from this and walk away from this unscathed, you know, which I think is uh, truly, truly good. Um, But again, you know, this is a... we're talking about a Chicago Police Department that's already been struggling with a sullied reputation uh, after police officer Jason Van Dyke was found guilty of shooting 17-year-old uh, black teen Laquan McDonald. And there was an extensive cover-up. So when it came to, uh, you know, truth-telling and when it came to, uh, you know, being the shining light of truthfulness, the Chicago PD, unfortunately, was not it. But I can't imagine it when you're just pointing to the situation with Laquan and McDonald to bring uh, the Chicago PD as an example of issues that are happening within, within not only our police departments around the country, but our Justice Department in general. Again, we're waiting to hear from Jesse Smollett here, but we don't necessarily know who's at fault for what took place and why it is that we landed where we are, which is charges being dropped and the case being expunged uh, with regards to Jesse Smollett. So walk me through some of what you know about the Chicago Police Department, Midwin, that you that Sure, you, uh, sure. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, uh, they're, you know, they been under the gun for for a lot of reasons. In fact, the the, the police uh, chief that we saw at that press conference was uh, he became police chief after there were some changes made because the uh, Laquan um, McDonald case was was so terrible. But but just to, to give you some background, uh, uh, you know, uh, Jason Van Dyke was found guilty of shooting 17 year old black teen Laquan McDonald, uh, and there was an extensive cover up. and And that police officer was later sentenced to only six years in prison. Wow. Three Chicago Police Department officers were tried for allegedly attempting to cover up the event related to the shooting. Interestingly enough, they were found not guilty by a judge on January 17, 2019, which is sort of what was the backdrop during the entire time this Jesse Smollett case played out, is here you have a a police department that is known for lying and covering up, and yet they were outraged at the fact that Jesse Smollett may have lied and may have covered something up. So the irony was there, and I think it sort of underscored the lack of faith and lack of trust that people have in a police department when they engage in this kind of behavior. Well, people especially that are familiar possibly with the Chicago Police Department and everything that's taken place there. I'm sorry, say that again? I said also people that are maybe familiar, more familiar with what's taken place within the Chicago Police Department and have been following the developments there. That's right, that's right. And it's important to note here uh, with respect to the Chicago PD that the, the Department of Justice had issued a scathing report uh, around 2017 saying that the Chicago Police Department engaged in excessive force and unfair treatment of minorities. So here you have you know, the federal government looking at a number of cases that Chicago Police Department has been involved in 
and, and coming out with that determination. Um, so, you know, the history is there, the backdrop is there, and it's important to look at it in the totality of all of those things. You know, there's been a lot of criticism, Andrew, about police departments across the country with regards to especially the shootings of young, unarmed black men. Um, what is your reaction to Midwin Charles being critical of the Chicago police so, ex- this is just so expectable, man. Of course they're going to go in. CNN's going to defend him. MSDNC is going to defend him. And then the little fucking twat said the following. This is Smollett himself. First of all, I want to thank my family, my friends, the incredible people of Chicago and all over the country and the world who have prayed for me, who have supported me, who have shown me so much love. No one will ever know how much that has meant to me, and I will forever be grateful. I want you to know that not for a moment was it in vain. I've been truthful and consistent on every single level since day one. I would not be my mother's son if I was capable of one drop of what I've been accused of. This has been an incredibly difficult time, honestly one of the worst of my entire life. But I'm a man of faith, and I'm a man that has knowledge of my history, and I would not bring my family, our lives, or the movement through a fire like this. I just wouldn't. So I want to thank my legal counsel from the bottom of my heart. And I would also like to thank the state of Illinois for attempting to do what's right. Now, I'd like nothing more than to just get back to work and move on with my life. But make no mistakes, I will always continue to fight for the justice, equality, and betterment of marginalized people everywhere. So again, thank you for all the support. Thank you for faith, and thank you to God. Bless y'all. Thank you very much. No honor. He has no contrition. Everybody in the world knows he lied. This is the Obamas. This is what the Obamas do. This is what liberals do. Once again... We always talk about how conservatives are horrible and they're terrible people and blah, 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 blah. You know, when conservatives do something, they pay for it. Either in the court of public opinion or in their job or in life or they go to jail. I mean, Manafort's going to jail. How many people in the Obama administration who deserve to go to jail are going to jail? How many people broke federal law? Hundreds. Every time they released secret information or declassified secret information so they could try to get Trump. This is horrible. But, you know, the media was all for it. He's a black guy. He's a gay guy. He's a black gay guy. Oh, my God. Intersectionality checklist. He's a man. So, yesterday, the Green New Deal went up. I play AOC first, but here is Mike Lee, and my God, I, I wish this guy was my representative because the mockery in this soundbite it, it gives me a little chubber. Campus programs designed to cut the United States out of the global market, Mr. President. We must not allow and cannot tolerate a giant seahorse gap. Goal number two. The Green New Deal anticipates the elimination of all cows. Talking points released by the sponsors of the resolution the day it was introduced cited the goal of, quote, fully getting rid of, and I'll paraphrase a little bit here, flatulating cows. 
Now, Mr. President, I share their concern. But honestly, I think you've got to remember that if they think the cows smell bad, just wait till they get a whiff of the seahorses. But back to the cattle. Uh, I've got a chart to illustrate this trend. As you can see, Mr. President, on the left, these little cows represent the bovine population of America today. On the right is the future population under the Green New Deal. We would go from about 94 million cows to zero cows. No more milk, no more cheese, no more steak, no more hamburgers. Over the state work period last week, I visited some farms to find out for myself what Utah's own bovine community might think of the Green New Deal. Every cow I spoke to said the same thing. Boo. The authors of this proposal will protest that these goals are not actually part of the Green New Deal, but were merely included in supporting documents accidentally sent out by the office of the lead sponsor in the House of Representatives. But, Mr. President, this only makes my point. The supporters of the Green New Deal want Americans to trust them to reorganize our entire society, our entire economy, to restructure our very way of life, when they couldn't even figure out how to send out the right press release. The Green New Deal is not a serious policy document because it's not a policy document at all. It is, in fact, an aesthetic one. The resolution is not an agenda of solutions. It's a token of elite tribal identity and endorsing it a public act of piety for the chic and woke. And on those embarrassing terms, it is already a resounding success. As Speaker Pelosi herself put it, quote, the green dream or whatever they call it, nobody knows what it is, but they're for it, right? Right. Critics will no doubt chastise me for not taking climate change seriously. But please, Mr. President, nothing could be further from the truth. No Utah needs to hear pious lectures about the gravity of climate change from politicians from other states. For it was only in 2016, as viewers of the Sci-Fi Network will well remember, when climate change hit home in Utah, when our own state was struck not simply by a tornado, Mr. President, but by a tornado with sharks in it. These images are from the indispensable documentary film, Sharknado 4. They captured the precise moment when one of the tornado sharks crashed through the window of Utah's governor, Governor Gary Herbert. A true Utah hero and a fine American, Governor Herbert, who, by the way, is an incredible athlete and an expert tennis player, Governor Herbert bravely fought the animal off with the tennis racket that he keeps by his desk precisely for occasions such as this. So let's be really clear, Mr. President. Climate change is no joke, but the Green New Deal is a joke. It is the legislative equivalent of Austin Powers' Dr. Evil, demanding sharks with frickin' lasers on their heads.
The Green New Deal is not the solution to climate change. It's not even part of the solution. In fact, it's part of the problem. The solution to climate change won't be found in political posturing or virtue signaling like this. It won't be found in the federal government at all. You know where the solution can be found, Mr. President? In churches, in wedding chapels, in maternity wards across the country and around the world. Mr. President, this is the real solution to climate change. Babies. Climate change is an engineering problem. Not social engineering, but the real kind. It's a challenge of creativity, ingenuity, and most of all, technological innovation. And problems of human imagination are not solved by more laws. They're solved by more humans. More people mean bigger markets for more innovation. More babies will mean forward-looking adults, the sort we need to tackle long-term, large-scale problems. American babies in particular are likely going to be wealthier, better educated, and more conservation-minded than children raised in still industrializing countries. As economist Tyler Cowen recently wrote, on this very point addressing this very topic, quote, by having more children, you're making your nation more populous, thus boosting its capacity to solve climate change, close quote. Finally, Mr. President, children are a mark of the kind of personal, communal, and societal optimism that is the true prerequisite for meeting national and global challenges together. The courage needed to solve climate change is nothing compared with the courage needed to start a family. The true heroes of this story aren't politicians, and they aren't social media activists. They're moms and dads, and the little boys and girls that they are at this very moment, putting down for naps or helping with their homework, building tree houses and teaching them how to tie their shoes. The planet does not need for us to think globally and act locally so much as it needs us to think family and act personally. The solution to climate change is not this unserious resolution that we're considering this week in the Senate, but rather the serious business of human flourishing. The solution to so many of our problems at all times and in all places is to fall in love, get married, and have some kids. <clears throat> Mr. President. Senator from Utah. Mr. President, fear has become an all-too-prevalent quality in American political discourse. And unfortunately, fear is unavoidable. When debating the substance of the resolution before this body today, that is climate change, socialism, and the Green New Deal. On entering this debate, I have a little fear in my heart as well. But Mr. President, my fear at this moment may be just a little different than that of some of my colleagues. Unlike some of my colleagues, I'm not immediately afraid of what carbon emissions unaddressed might do to our environment in the near-term future, or our civilization, or our planet in the next few years. Unlike others, I'm 
not immediately afraid of what the Green New Deal would do to our economy and our government. After all, this isn't going to pass. Not today, not anytime soon, certainly. Rather, after reading the Green New Deal, I'm mostly afraid of not being able to get through this speech with a straight face. For Mr. President, I rise today to consider the Green New Deal with the seriousness it deserves. This is, of course, a picture of former President Ronald Reagan uh, naturally firing a, a machine gun while riding on the back of a dinosaur. You'll notice a couple of important features here. Uh, first of all, uh, the rocket launcher uh, strapped to President Reagan's back. And then the stirring, unmistakable patriotism of the velociraptor holding up a tattered American flag, a symbol of all it means to be an American. Now, critics might quibble with this depiction of the climactic battle of the Cold War, because while awesome, in real life, there was no climactic battle. There was no battle with or without velociraptors. The Cold War, as we all know, was won without firing a shot. But that quibble actually serves our purposes here today, Mr. President, because this image has as much to do with overcoming communism in the 20th century as the Green New Deal has to do with overcoming climate change in the 21st. The aspirations of the proposal have been called radical. They've been called extreme. But mostly, they're ridiculous. There isn't a single serious idea here, not one. To illustrate, let me highlight two of the most prominent goals produced by the plan's authors. Goal number one, the Green New Deal calls essentially for the elimination of airplanes. Now, this might seem merely ambitious for politicians who represent the densely populated northeastern United States. But how is it supposed to work for our fellow citizens who don't live somewhere between Washington, D.C. and Boston? In a future without air travel, how are we supposed to get around the vast expanses of, say, Alaska during the winter? Well, I'll tell you how. Tauntauns, Mr. President. This is a beloved species of reptomammals native to the ice planet of Hoth. Now, while perhaps not as efficient in some ways uh, as airplanes or as snowmobiles, these hairy bipedal species of space lizards offer their own unique benefits. Not only are tauntauns carbon neutral, but according to a report a long time ago and issued far, far away, they may even be fully recyclable and usable for their warmth, especially on a cold night. What about Hawaii? Isolated, 2,000 miles out of the Pacific Ocean. Under the Green New Deal's effective airplane prohibition, how are people there supposed to get to and from the mainland? And how are they supposed to maintain that significant portion of their economy that's based on tourism? At that distance, swimming would, of course, be out of the question. And jet skis are notorious gas guzzlers. No, all residents of Hawaii would be left with 
is this. This is a picture of Aquaman, a superhero from the undersea kingdom of Atlantis, and uh, notably here, a founding member of the Super Friends. I draw your attention, Mr. President, to the 20-foot impressive seahorse he's riding. Under the Green New Deal, this is probably Hawaii's best bet. Now, I'm the first to admit that a massive fleet of giant, highly trained seahorses would be cool. It would be really, really awesome. But we have to consider a few things. We have no idea about scalability or domestic capacity in this sector. The last thing we want is to ban all airplanes and only then find out that China or Russia may have already established strategic hippocampus programs designed to cut the United States out of the global market. Mr. President. That is so Aquaman. Come on, that shit's funny. So AOC comes back with GOP senators using their congressional allowance to print Aquaman posters for themselves to argue that the Green New Deal saving our nation from climate change is a waste of money. $93 trillion, you fucking twat. Like many other women and working people, so you got to get the women, got to try to shame them. I occasionally suffer from imposter syndrome. Those small moments, especially on hard days, where you wonder if the haters are right. But then they do things like this to clear it right up. If this guy could be a senator, you can do anything. The next one. The GOP climate delaying is costing us lives and destroying communities. Iowa, Nebraska, and many in the Midwest are catastrophically flooded right now in one of the worst, uh, the first major crime Climate change disasters of 2019. The Green New Deal urges us to pursue a plan on scale of the problem. The GOP never said they got along with the Green New Deal, but plenty of Democrats did. Guess how many of them voted for day? I fucked up and read that. Because here is the vote. Final vote on the Green New Deal fails 0 to 57, with 43 Dems voting present. Jones? That Unic Cinema Mansion and King voted with the Republicans against. So people start clapping back to us as we all talk like Jenny on the fucking block as representatives. Haters. Who the fuck talks like that? Colin Duffy, was this before or after your plan got zero fucking votes? Senator John Barrasso, why did Senate Democrats just duck a vote on your Green New Deal? Hashtag Dems Duck, hashtag voted present. AOC, because I encourage them to vote present along with others. McConnell tried to push the Green New Deal straight to the floor without a hearing. The real question we should be asking, why does the Senate GOP refuse to hold any major hearings on climate change? AOC takes credit for everyone voting no on her own legislation. This is the lamest excuse ever. Why do you need a hearing? Just vote. It's an emergency, right? 12 years, we're all going to die. The real question is, why did you sponsor legislation you didn't believe it was ready to be passed? Other people send questions. Why? And then McConnell. Oh my God, so funny. Leader McConnell. The Senate voted on the Green New Deal today. Zero yays, 57 nays, and 43 senators voted present. And he sent out this soundbite. Oh, Jesus, it's so funny. So what do we want? Green New Deal. And what do we want it? Now. What do we want? Green New Deal. 
when do we want it? Now! Our planet is in peril, and we need to be bold. Does the Green New Deal go too far? No. You cannot go too far on the issue of climate change. I see it as a jumpstart, so I would vote yes. Green New Deal, I'm in all the way. Climate change is an urgent crisis, an existential threat to our country and our planet. Climate change is an existential threat. We cannot deny the devastating consequences of climate change. We must act now. We have a crisis on our hands now. We have to rise to this challenge. So what do we want? Green New Deal. On this vote, the yeas are zero, the nays are 57, and 43 senators responded present. So what do we want? Green New Deal. And when do we want it? Now. What do we want? Green New Deal. And when do we want it? Now. Just trolling the fuck out of the Dems. And then a Dem goes on CNN and calls it a fantasy land. Now, the Green New Deal is a very, very ambitious, uh, over-the-top idea to try and solve this problem. But you really need something to shock people out of their torpor to say we have to do something different than what we've been doing. And uh, while some of the, the ideas are, are, you know, seem extraordinary, almost a fantasy land, uh, we need to have that type of aggressive ambition to really address something that's been ignored for much too long. I mean, I remember this issue being talked about in the late 80s, early 90s. So we've got to finally wake up and uh, face the fact that our air, our land, our water, it's all impacted, and we have to do something about it once and for all. There's a That's your own team, man. More AOC. We're prepping for this week's Green New Deal Town Hall in the Bronx with Chris Hayes and MSDNC. What topics and questions would you like to see discussed on Friday? I just grabbed a couple because some of these are just priceless. Mike Bololonsky. Friday at 8 p.m. during March Madness. Might want to reschedule so you can get more than 13 viewers. Other people. Ha, ha, ha. March Madness. You're an idiot. Uh, the Paranoid Pundit. Um... Will there be a trapeze act as well? <laughs> AJ Hoft. How will this all be paid for? Specific details. Actually answer the question. Let's see you use that economics degree. Another person. It's a cow fart thing, dude. You wouldn't understand. J.P. Harmon. Barack Obama hoodwinked us all in 2008 to believe he is a progressive. He clearly isn't, especially based on his critique of the Green New Deal. Which presidential candidates do you believe really support and not just say they do? Oh, God, the left is so fucked up. Malicious Vixen. How will your Green New Deal address the Earth's elliptical and shifting orbit due to rotations that result in sometimes being closer to the sun, which warms our atmosphere and produces a warming trend over several years, decades before we shift back into a wider orbit? Oh, my God, science and shit! 
Another one. How can we build a nationwide bullet train system infrastructure in less than 10 years? Another one. Maria Smith. How about for once some realistic answers on how you plan to fund your deal and how you plan to accomplish everything you say needs to be done in order to see your deal come to fruition? No more talking around the subjects. Clear, concise answers. Dennis Buckley, start with how you're going to pay cash for all your green stuff without taking away from the average worker's paycheck and how many hours you're going to add to his day getting to work and home again every day without a car. Another person mocked the prop up. I mean, it's true. The promo picture, Dinesh Kumar. This looks like a boxing promo. It does. Another brings up our next story, which is what I want to go to now. I'd like to know your comment on the glacier that's growing back. New York Post. Melting Greenland glacier appears to be growing. From the article, a major Greenland glacier that was one of the fastest shrinking ice and snow masses on Earth is growing again in a new NASA study finds. The Jagovich's glacier around 2012 is retreating about 1.8 miles and thinning nearly 130 feet annually, but it started growing again about the same rate in the past two years, according to a study Monday from Nature Geoscience. Kurt Schlitzer gives us our next one. You liberal dumbasses can't catch a break. The Department of Justice sided with the District Court Monday that found the Affordable Care Act violated the Constitution. Yeah. From the article, totally different story, but it goes with this. The Texas judge ruling is sure to be appealed all the way to the Supreme Court, where, if upheld, it would upend the nation's health care system. Trump campaigned heavily on a pledge to repeal and replace Obamacare, even leading a charge in the first six months of his presidential term to overturn the health care framework. Republicans attempted to use it, the United Government were stymied by Trump, by McCain's vote to take it away. But this is all in the same article. And same thread. Like, you guys, do you not understand you're on the wrong side of history on everything now? But they gave this Jenny on the block, street thug wannabe, talking about our haters who fucking live streams making fucking vegan soup and shit, the floor to speak. Listen to this twat. I am very encouraged by the sudden concern on the other side of the aisle about climate change, and it makes me feel as though our efforts have been effective, at the very least in distancing between the dangerous strategy of climate denial, which we know is costing us lives at least 3,000 Americans in Puerto Rico and Hurricane Maria. But aside from that, when we talk about uh, the concern of the environment as an elitist concern, One year ago, I was waitressing in a taco shop in downtown Manhattan. I just got health insurance for the first time a month ago. This is not an elitist issue. This is a quality of life issue. You want to tell people that their concern and their desire for clean air and clean water is elitist? Tell that to the kids in the South Bronx, which are suffering from the highest rates of childhood asthma in the country. Tell that to the families in Flint, whose kids... Have their blood is ascending in, in lead levels. Their brains are damaged for the rest of their lives. Call them elitist. Tell, you're telling them that those kids are trying to get on a plane to Davos? People are dying. 
They are dying. And the response across the other side of the aisle is to introduce an amendment five minutes before a hearing and a markup. This is serious. This should not be a partisan issue. This is about our constituents and all of our lives. Iowa, Nebraska, broad swaths, swaths of the Midwest are drowning right now underwater. Farms, towns that will never be recovered and never come back. And we're here and, and people are more concerned about helping oil companies than helping their own families. I don't think so. I don't think so. This is about our lives. This is about American lives. And it should not be partisan. Science should not be partisan. This, we are facing a national crisis. And if we do not ascend to that crisis, if we do not ascend to the, to, to the levels in which we were threatened at the Great Depression, when we were threatened in World War II, if we do not ascend to those levels, if we tell the American public that we are more willing to invest and bail out big banks than we are willing to invest in our farmers and our urban families, then I don't know what we're here doing. I don't know what we're here doing. First and foremost, the media framed this like she was talking that the Republicans are saying it's an elitist thing. I haven't heard any Republicans say that. I think you're an elitist. Because clearly obvious you don't care about what you're talking about, AOC, because you drive in a limo six blocks. You fly. You don't live by your own shit. But they, of course, gave her all the air. My local NBC station showed part of this rant. And I really, you know, we're going to see it in our, this is America, because there's two parts today. Um, actual violence, and then, of course, more New Zealand shit, because it kind of cues into Omar. But in that, Omar's dissing Pelosi, and here's this punk dissing Pelosi. And I still want to cue us back to the time where the Tea Party is running roughshod over the leadership and Republicans can't control the caucus and all that bullshit when really it's Democrats. You have this little fucking Manchurian candidate who won a competition talking shit, cash shit to everybody and thinking she's all that and she's just... Like Jenny from the block. When she really gets upset, it's like when Obama would raise his nose up and go into professor mode. Here's this girl going back to her thug roots. She's just a thug. And what does it say when your own party won't back your extreme bullshit? Where are you going to come up with $93 trillion? She won't be asked that tomorrow on MSDNC. I'm taping it so that when I come back for my anniversary, I can watch it that Thursday or Friday and put some notes together and put some sound bites, and we're going to cover it. But where are you going to pay for that shit? I mean, this entire thing, and I don't want to relitigate it, you put out a half-assed Jim Bob bunch of fucking people smoking pot theses. You roll it out. It's all fucked up. Everybody makes fun of it. 
The media covers for you initially and go, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. Somebody really cares about our climate because they're all a bunch of libtards like you. Then you claim it was accidentally put out. Then you remove it. Then you never put anything out to replace it. Nobody asks real concrete questions on how are you going to pay for it? What the fuck's up about cow farts? Yada, yada. And then they vote on it because you put it out there. This is how big girls and boys play. Nobody votes for it. And our media still gives her a win. Seriously. Is that how this works? Have they not learned anything? Democrats, real progressives don't want this plan. Nobody wants to give up their fucking iPhone Ocho and live in a fucking cave. Nobody. I I just, I, I am just blown away that this thug little twat gets this much airtime. And granted, I'm being a hypocrite because I'm covering it. But I just can't believe she sucks up this much oxygen. She couldn't run a fucking taco stand. And she's a congressman because she checks all the right liberal blocks and won a, you know, this is the choice competition. It's fucking embarrassing. So, do a music break. We'll go into news, social, media, nuggets. It's been a while since I could hold my head up high. And it's been a while since I first saw you.
good Looking myself straight And it's been a while Since I said I'm sorry And it's been a while Since I've seen the way The candles light your face And it's been a while But I can still remember Poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. It's a whole new ball game on campus these days, and they call it PC. PC? Politically correct. And it's not just politics, it's everything. It's what you eat, it's what you wear, and it's what you say. If you don't watch yourself, you can get in a buttload of trouble. For instance, we have right see two. these girls? Yep. No, you don't. Those are women. You call them girls, and they'll pop your figs. Save the whales. Gays in the military now. Our military corner. Fallen EOD tech left dozens of hidden love letters behind for wife before deploying for Afghanistan. I'm not going to read this because I would literally probably cry. Um, I used to do that all the time. Before I left, I'd leave little... I'd print out all these papers with little love notes, and I'd hide them all over the house and drawers and underneath things, and hoping that while I was gone, she'd, you know, find something and get a smile, you know. It's just really sad. The Russians have landed planes full of troops, military advisors, and Venezuela. I think the Trump administration and the Democrats need to get their head out of their fucking asses because we're starting to look like the Obama administration. We're feckless. We're doing nothing because we're too busy fighting to get things done and Russia is all over the globe again. But Mitt Romney was wrong. Remember that. Army four-star nominated as the next chief of staff. The Senate Armed Service Committee on Monday night received, received President Trump's nomination to General James McConville to become the next chief of staff. Home Slice um, was with 
commanded the 101st Airborne Division Air Assault. We also served as commander of Combined Joint Task Force 101 during Operation Enduring Freedom. He also commanded 4th Brigade 1st Cavalry Division under during Operation Iraqi Freeman. He held several staff-level assignments, including Army Deputy Chief of Staff for G1, Executive Officer to the Vice Chief of Staff, and the J-5 Strategic Planner for U.S. Special Operations Command. The vice chief is seasoned aviator qualified to fly A-64D Longbowl, Apaches, Kiowas, and Cobras. And home skillet is following in the foot footsteps of a previous one that was the commander of the 101st. My brain locked for a second. General Cody. He was the guy that fired the first rounds in... Uh, Desert Storm, and I have a knife that he gave me in Afghanistan in a I Love Me case that my wife made with all my awards and decorations. And it's a little knife that was his. It was all embossed, and he just handed it out, and he bumped into me. And years later, I bumped into that guy again, and he remembered my damn name. I was a civilian then. Um, Great guy. Um, I had four interactions with him. One was a coin for a live fire that he just walked up and gave to me because I was running the support by fire and he liked what I was doing and the knife and then civilian sector. I mean, just a great dude. But it's very interesting that the 101st Airborne Division is a really huge um, stepping stone for a lot of generals. They um, take over the Army eventually. War crimes case expanded to SEAL Team 6. This is getting really bad for the fucking Navy. Um, that is the case where the SEAL shot the people and his own fucking people turned them in. So now it's SEAL Team 6 as part of it, and I bet it's obstruction of justice. So um, this this is not pretty. Once again, Army snipers outshot Marines at USASOC's annual sharpshooting competition. Given the elite status of popular reputation of Marine Scout snipers, such a defeat may seem shameful, shameful, but to be fair, Army snipers have owned this competition for the last several years. A two-man team from the 1st Special Forces Group Airborne emerged victorious in 2018 following the back-to-back wins from the 3rd Special Forces Group in 17 and 16. And go Army! all I got to say. The guys who brought us Saving Private Ryan and Jarhead are making a World War One movie. Yeah, Spielberg. Um, not much known about the plot. It's just going to be from 1917. Uh, based on the IMDB cast list, there are just two actors attached to major roles. Dean Charles Chapman, who played Tom and, uh, Toman Baratheon in Game of Thrones, and George McKay, Captain Fantastic. Huh. Next article cracked me the fuck up. Maybe I should start doing this. We salute the army vet who dropped 25 pounds by consuming nothing but beer for weeks. Yeah. Do just drink beer. NASA cancels first all-female spacewalk over spacesuit sizes. I just thought this was hilarious. Um, I'm not trying to be sexist, but what the fuck, Chuck? A March 29th assignment was supposed to be the first all-female space walk, but there won't be enough of the correct size spacesuits ready in time. Army Lieutenant Colonel Ann McLean and Christina Koch, two NASA astronauts with Expedition 59, have been scheduled to operate the spacewalk, but mission managers decided to switch so that Koch and NASA astronaut Nick Haig could operate the assignment. Haig and McLean 
McLean operated the first spacewalk out of the series in March 20, uh, March 22nd. They began installing lithium-ion batteries for a pair of solar arrays on the ISSS. While McLean was on the assignment, which was also her first spacewalk, she found that the best-fitting shirt of the spacesuit was medium-sized. However, there's only one medium-sized hard upper torso at the space station. They'll be ready in time for Friday's spacewalk, so Coke will wear it. The release said, and I'm sure we're going to hear, even NASA is fucking sexist because they won't take care of our female NASA members. Oh, Jesus Christ. To our college crazy. Lawsuit. Uni covered up professors. UNI, I'm sorry, covered up professor's sexual harassment to avoid appearing racist. Lehigh University is getting sued by a professor who claims the school ignored years of another professor's sexual harassment in an effort to not appear a racist. Uh, the plaintiff claims that Lehigh sacrificed vulnerable young women by allowing them to be sexually harassed because its image as an unbiased and racially diverse college was more important. <laughs> wow. That, that just... That makes sense to me. Journalism ethics instructor likens conservative groups to Ku Klux Klan. Oh, isn't that interesting? Hoods and burning crosses are optional at a gathering of Mississippi State Young Americans for Freedom, Ryan Phillips wrote Wednesday, commenting on a video which was posted on Twitter by a journalist from Mississippi State student paper, The Reflector. The video shows the Mississippi State Young Americans for Freedom chapter hosting an event with Build the Wall display. Um, hey, the white male student caucus holding a gathering. Hoods and burning crosses optional. Mississippi State Chief Communication Officer Sid Slater told campus reform that the students in the YAF chapter were clearly engaged in lawful activities that were in compliance with the university guidelines. As a newspaper editor and as a part-time instructor in MSU's Department of Communication, Mr. Phillips should be particularly sensitive to freedom of speech. But we're going to do nothing about it because it's his own social media platform. Okay. Why would I read that? Because it's just so normal it's like every podcast because then you get this story three students arrested for setting fire to conservative dorm victim speaks out a spokesman for the school mike strecker confirmed that two tulane university sophomores and a student visiting from another college set fire to lofton's door on saturday night fox 8 live reported the incident was captured by surveillance cameras noted strecker no one was hurt from the fire as the flames were quickly put out the alleged perpetrators have been identified as Robert Money, 21, David Shelton, 20, and Naomi Okami, a 20-year-old visiting student from Brown University. Lofton leads a chapter of libertarian conservative campus group Turning Point USA. But these motherfuckers say, yeah, fuck him. We're going to burn this shit down. Ah! NYC College openly promotes Democratic presidential campaign jobs. Are we surprised in that? The economics department listserv email, a copy of Campus Reform Obtained, promotes an organizational core paid position for summer 2019 in which students would help Democrats on the ground in their communities. Organizing core is a program specifically sponsored by the DNC, according to his website, and recruits college students to learn the art and science of being a field organizer in presidential election, which means the art and science of being a prog robot. That just doesn't surprise me. I, I'm sure if you went through all sorts of, you know, websites for colleges, that's all you see. Colorado College Speaker Advocates Legal Rights for Mother Earth. Just wanted to read that title. Yes. Mother Earth has legal rights. Um, um. 
Gonzaga event. Is Moana about rape? Yes, a cartoon. Is it about rape? Well, let's find out. Gonzaga University philosophy professor Danielle Lane will screen Moana to attendees and discuss it according to the event flyer. For is Moana about rape? Question mark. Spotted by Campus Perform. The function will be sponsored by the school's Women and Gender Studies and Native American Studies Department. Lane will advance a controversial thesis wherein she suggests the film is an extended rape metaphor. The flyer was displayed on Jesus. Where did he get this shit? The professor will argue that Western patriarchy and masculinity attacked the feminine. Indigenous cultures and environment and nature. Yes, every time I go outside, I'm attacking nature. I probably am because I'm overweight. But I, I just, where do, they, where do they get this shit? Lane will ultimately also suggest the film is a neo-colonialist example. It advances a new myth that scapegoats Maui, excusing Western culture for oppressing women, degrading the environment, and erasing murdering indigenous people. The flyer says. It's a Fucking cartoon, you moon bats! Oh my god. Then this one, furthering my theory, the left hates soldiers, LGBT group, student vets jeopardize the well being of students. Let's discuss. The Pride Center at Oregon State University. Does that fucking surprise me? The same place I was called a baby killer in 2003? No, it doesn't. The same place in 2002 somebody shit on a burning flag? Nope. Doesn't surprise me. I love you, Matt. I love my parents. I even love my brother Randy out there. But that fucking part of the country, I, in the words of Sergeant Bomb, Bonds. Sergeant Bonds. Only thing kill Bonds is Bonds. I shit on all you. Well, except for you, Matt, and Mom, Dad, and Randy. The, okay, uh, the Pride Center at Oregon State University called for veteran student association members to be barred from moving into on-campus student lounge, stating that it concerned about the veteran students' patriotism and well-being of students. In a since-deleted open letter to OSU community posted on Facebook on March 15th, the Pride Center and the LGBTQ+, EIEIO Multicultural Support Network said that they opposed moving VSA into the Student Experience Center involving lounge on campus. The involvement lounge is a space for students to find out how to get involved on campus according to its webpage. Pride Center, which is an entity of the Department of Diversity and Cultural Engagement, stated that their members would be vulnerable to the consequences of deciding to let the vet group occupy the space. The communities that our organizations serve are vulnerable to the ideological, ideological and practical consequences that this decision would bring about, the Pride Center whined. Specifically, the group cites President Donald Trump's ban on transgender individuals are serving in the military, which none of these guys have anything to do with. But I digress. I'm going to try to read a little bit of this. Uh, let me clean my glasses. Sorry. Um, this is an open letter to all parties involved in the debate to whether or not to introduce the Veterans Student Association into the Student Center. Uh, the Pride Center. Uh, sorry, I had a page lock. 
Uh, let me just get to the good stuff. The communities that our organizations serve are vulnerable to the ideological and practical consequences the decision would bring about. In recent years, the transgender community in particular has been explicitly targeted by the Trump administration's decision to ban transgender individuals from serving in the military. The newest policy states that no person can serve or is unable or unwilling to adhere to all applicable standards, including the standard associated with this or his or her biological sex or seeks transition to another gender. This push to curb the rights of transgender people to participate as fully as they desire in the U.S. society has caused much distress throughout the LGBTQ community. Yes, it's distressing the .6 of America. Jesus Christ. We are disheartened to think that our community, which is historically fought to be recognized fully as human beings, are being forced to continue this fight. We also wish to express our concern for the particular type of American patriotism that would be promoted by centralizing the Veteran Students Association and the SEC. Although the Pride Center and SOL work most closely with our campus LGBTQ EIEIO community, the work we do through these organizations is not isolated in global struggles for justice. U.S. military interventions abroad have been responsible for killing our LGBTQ EIEO siblings. Are you sure? Is there a lot of fucking gay people in ISIS? I don't think so. Much of our success is on our on-campus programming is due to lessons we learn from most vulnerable and marginalized people in the global community. And many of the people we support through our center and initiate come from backgrounds touched by the destructive legacy of U.S. military intervention. We aim to resist the pain the U.S. militarism has caused our siblings in the struggle. This letter is not intended to attack individuals who have served in the military. That's exactly what you're doing. We care deeply for and stand behind the wellness of LGBTQ veterans who find themselves in need of following their enlistment in the military service. Our program resources initiatives are open to LGBTQ veterans only. They didn't say that, but that's what they're saying. Seeking community support and healing. Student veterans on campus are deserving of a space, but their presence in such a centralized location on campus jeopardizes the well-being of many vulnerable students. The Pride Center, Soul, LGBTQ Multicultural Support Network stand in solidarity with all the students advocating. Oh, shut the fuck up! Hmm. Then they posted... You may notice that we have removed an open letter posted this page on March 15th about the relocation of the Military and Veterans Resource Center. We have done so because the open letter was written by represents the view of the individual students, not the Pride Center or Oregon State University or the Department of Diversity or anybody else. While Pride Center and SOL students have a right to make statements as individuals on issues that are important to them, the posting of this open letter violated our community polity communication policy. We recognize the statement has been a source of pain for many individuals at times such as these. We need to consider all members of our community. Blah fucking blah. We welcome and support our veterans. Blah blah blah. No you don't. No you don't. You can give two fucking shits about vets. We're just a bunch of gay baby killers now. That's where we are. Gay baby killers. I don't know how babies can be gay. But that's what it's about. I mean, what a kind, what kind of, how stupid brainwash can you be to say killing our gay siblings? How do you know they were gay? Do you even know that the globe on that side of the globe, where there's a lot of sand and crazy motherfuckers going, ah, yeah, 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 
They throw gay people off a roof, dickhead. I doubt Al-Qaeda, the Taliban, fucking ISIS. There's not a lot of gay guys. Now granted, they fuck little boys, which is pretty fucking sick and gay. At least the Taliban does. But I don't think there's a lot of open gay guys or any trannies rolling out there with a fucking AK, you fucking moron. Idiots. I was going to put this next story in with the GND, but I didn't because it just shows our colleges are fucking hot garbage. Duke to pay government $112.5 million for using fake scientific data obtained research grants. The short of the long story, they fudged data about the environment to get money. But once again, we're supposed to we're just supposed to believe in 12 years, boop, it's over. Lights out. The planet's going to start rolling not to the east or the west. We're going to start rolling north to south, baby. It's just going to be fucking pandas fucking in damn parking lots and anarchy. Weirdos. To more non-college crazy, Montreal to take down an 80-year-old crucifix from a city chamber because somebody got offended. Been there for 80 years. Some little twat walks in. I'm offended. We'll tear that shit down. Oh, sometimes I just got, I got to take a breath. I got to take a breath. Yeah, that's our technical difficulties. I caught a breath. And I'm composed. It's not enough she's Marvel's first leading female superhero. Now SJWs want Captain Marvel, you guessed it, to be gay. It was either going to be gay or personal color. You knew it. The piece argues that MCU should embrace progressive storytelling more fully after Avengers Endgame. That the conclusion to the Infinity War saga and the end of the first generation of Marvel superhero films, and by progressive storytelling, it's apparent they mean targeting specific quotas rather than generally inclusiveness. Since Marvel already has successful minority superheroes, Black Panther, and a moderate successful female, Captain Marvel, it's simply time to check the next box. The Brie Larson Helm film has opened the door for the studio to make an even bigger statement by presenting the new face of the MCU as a straight-up LGBTQ character, CBR opines. Why can't the strongest Avenger out there be the one who leading the new era of Marvel movies? Be gay, he asked. The general audience embraced the hero's progressive style and what she stands for, inspiring girls and women globally. They continue, by making her queer, the studio would jump to the forefront of gay rights everywhere. By presenting Carol Danvers as a feminist, a strong woman, and a hero with unbreakable will who just so happens to like to eat gooch. <laughs> okay, that's not what it says, but that's what I said. Okay, let's make her a gooch eater. Woohoo! She likes to eat the taco! Woo! 
what is that going to change? And what fucking rights do you need? There's no other rights. You got all the rights, dickhead. It was marriage. Uh, Then we got Cardi B's under fire. Listen to this shit. Anti-Trump liberal hero Cardi B is under fire, rightfully so, after an old video resurfaced where the singer admitted to drugging and robbing men she met in her past life. So I'm still, I'm going to try to say it like her. Whatever that fucking sound she makes. So I'm seeing a social media live I did three years ago about popping black up. A little where I talk about things I had to do in my past, right or wrong, so I feel like I needed to do, like, to make a living. I never claimed to be perfect. I come from a perfect world with wit, a perfect past. What the fuck is wit? I always speak my truth. I always own my shit. I'm a part of a hip-hop culture where you can talk about where you come from, talk about the wrong things you had to do to get where you are. There are rappers that glorify murder, violence, drugging, and robbing, crimes they feel they had to do to survive. I never glorified the things I brought up in that live. I never even put things things in my music because I'm not proud of it and feel a responsibility not to glorify it. I made these choices and I had time because I had a very limited option. So drugging and stealing was my option. I didn't know that was an option. I was blessed to have been able to rise from that, but so many women have not. Whether or not they were poor choices at the time, I did what I had to do to survive. The men I speak about in my lives were the men that I dated that I was involved with and men that were consciously willing and aware. I had a past that I can't change. We all do. What the fuck does that even mean? I know it's a bad example. I don't know much about Cardi B. I just know she hawks Pepsi now. So I guess Pepsi, the date rape generation. Is that that's what we're rolling? Just remember, these are some of the things. All I can do now is better myself by my family and my future. Sandra as Wessel. Cardi B needs to be arrested and tried for drugging men. Yeah. She should. Some of her great work. All you Trump supporters should work for free while the government is shut down. Show your support 100. Anna Navardo Karadiness now. She's got a hyphen. Last 35 days were painful for many, but there were some bright spots. I am Cardi B political commentary. Stephen Colbert, I'm starting a petition for Democrats to let Cardi B be the rebuttal for the State of the Union. Washington Post, Cardi B invited to meet with Iowa Democrats. AOC, Bernie plus Cardi equal Ocasio 2018. The beat with Ari Melmer. Why Cardi B is right about the Trump showdown. Yeah. That piece of shit. Date raping motherfuckers. Keeping the brother down. You know she wasn't going for any fucking vanilla dick. Yeah, I said it. She wasn't. Then we got this one from KUOW Public Radio. A rose by another name would not be me. The racist practice of mispronouncing names. You know when you're standing in line at a coffee shop trying to figure out what to order, your mind races, how much caffeine can I handle today? Should I get the overpriced bagel? Many people with unconventional names experience a different kind of anxiety in their moment, figuring out what a safe and easy name they should use that day. Having a name butchered happens beyond coffee shops. This same anxiety peaks its head in the workplace, the classroom, and many other aspects of life. Spoiler, this practice of mispronouncing names isn't just embarrassing, it has a long and racist history. 
My real last name, folks, has never been pronounced right my entire life. And the version of it is pornographic. But I never once said, you hate white people. Never. If everything's racist, what the fuck is racist anymore? And then you've got fucking Chuggles over here. Keith Oberman. This went live this week. It be rare and beautiful, so me should kill it. This pea-brain scumbag identifies himself as Hunter Waltman, and we should do our best to make sure the rest of his life is a living hell. And the nitwit clowner wrote this fawning piece should be fired. Now remember, Keith Oberman works for motherfucking MDS, MDNC. Alex Griswold just got an ESPN statement on Keith Oberman sicking his minions on so on a, on so followers a mi- million I'm sorry sinking his million or so followers on a turkey hunter and asking them to make his life a living hell. We have spoken to him about not making personal attacks, and that was it. The guy begged a white turkey. My response to him is, you know, Moonbat, a lot of people in this country live different lifestyles. So why don't you get your head out of your fucking ass and shut up? And ESPN, why the fuck do you employ this guy? So a conservative, of course, did an article with this guy. Walman said he's receiving verbal attacks due to Oberman's actions. While no one directly threatened to harm him, some said they hope harm comes his way. They texted me all kind of stuff. If he hadn't done that, none of this would have happened. Walman said he's never heard of the ESPN commentator and former MSDNC political host prior to Oberman's attack on Twitter. Walman said now he considers Oberman a threatening individual. Tell you the truth, seems like a threat to me. Make my life a living hell? That seems like a threat. I'd be glad to see him fired. He went overboard. And he's right. How the fuck can you get away with that shit? If a conservative ever did that, I hope you get fucking raped and shot. A, you'd be banned off Twitter. B, you lose your job if you were a public figure in a heartbeat. I mean, how many subscribe or how many uh, sponsors did uh, fucking Rush Limbaugh lose because he called Sander Fluke a slut? No justice. Then we have this fucking weird ass shit. Plymouth Meaning Men Only Group aims to heal through the power of cuddling. I'm not reading anymore. Cuddling. Well, I will. The group establishes safe touch boundaries. Alright? I have spooned with men on a many a PZ or ambush site or fucking in an ORP in the army, a patrol base for heat. It was never dick to butt. It was back to back. I ain't cuddling with no men. You can call me a homophobe. That, that's not a thing. Men don't cuddle with other men. I am just such a bad day. Cuddle. Nobody does that. No. Nobody. Go watch some porn and jerk off. Do something else, man. But we're not cuddling. They're all asked to. NASA and the White House want billions so companies compete to build human moon landers. That was media dogging it. Because VP Pence has set a five-year deadline for landing on the south pole of the moon. They're just pissed off because Obama didn't think about it. Obama destroyed NASA. Good job, Obama. We don't have a space program. You rock. 
And last but not least, world's biggest T-Rex discovered this fucking animal would have weighed 19,500 pounds. Holy fucking shit. That's a big-ass animal. To our lighter fare, we're going to go straight into it. Every time I buy a jersey for the Packers, my guy goes away. Jordy Nelson, gone. Randall Cobb, gone. Clay Matthews, my first real jersey I ever owned in my life. I mean, real game jersey. My wife spent $180 on this bitch. He's gone too. So we're going to start with Jordy's greatest plays because Jordy is gone. I'll take a Coke. Is Pepsi okay? Is Pepsi okay? Is Pepsi okay? Ow! Oh, our puppy's okay. Is a shooting star okay? Is the laughter of a small child okay? Pepsi's more than okay! It's okay! Okay, what have we learned today? You want a Pepsi? I want a Pepsi. There you go. Okay! I've got to come up with my own catchphrase. Okay! Fake the handoff. Rodgers time over the middle. Jordy Nelson. Jordy Nelson inside the 20. Touchdown. Green Bay. Spread him out again. Rodgers has time. Slings it to Nelson. Touchdown. Green Bay. Rodgers. Jordy Nelson. Touchdown. Green Bay. You one on one on the outside against William Gay and. See the hand check right there. Wentz coming off the edge. Packers pick it up. There's Nelson. First down. Inside the 20. Gets a block. Polamalu knocks him out of bounds. Boy, that's gutsy there. Full house. And there goes Jordy Nelson. Nelson will score. No flags are down. Tony. First down, Rodgers, oh, he's open. Inside the 40, Jordy Nelson. Jordy Nelson. Touchdown, Packers. Sell it that hard. It was the big pump fake from Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers took the last time. So there were 22 seconds left. Through the hand, that's a touchdown to Jordy Nelson. I'm going to throw the ball where I have to to be safe. You come up with it. Green Bay outside field goal range at the moment. The pass for Nelson. They do it easily at times. Touchdown, Jordy Nelson. That's a great deal of confidence then for Aaron Rodgers. Second and ten. Is all night when he has all night to find something to open, and it's Jordy Nelson for a touchdown. Play action and Flynn looking to Nelson down the field, and he's got another touchdown. Pass caught, Nelson. Touchdown. 
is caught, taken in by Jordy Nelson. Long pass plays this season, second down and four. Off the play fake, Rodgers with time, going deep down the sideline, getting free is Jordy Nelson, and Jordy Nelson is gone for the touchdown. Third down and four, Nelson, hitting stride, Jordy Nelson, out of bounds inside the 10. Rodgers spins out, out to his left, throws to Nelson, who makes the catch. A circus catch on the sideline, and Aaron Rodgers is getting the Packers up to the line. The Packers continue their drive from the 36, off the fake to Lacey. Rodgers fires downfield for Nelson, and Jordy Nelson takes it in. Good stuff, gets it away, Nelson makes the catch on the run, into Vikings territory, Jordy Nelson, touchdown. Rodgers, so funny while i was downloading because i forgot to download the jordy nelson greatest hits because he retired yesterday there was the pepsi commercial with that fucking cardi b knucklehead going whatever the fuck she does but um really we started out to say goodbye to randall cobb and then jordy retires because he wasn't going to get picked back up in the raiders but um i can't speak about how much randall cobb has met 
um, for the the Packers. I mean, uh, he finished his career at Green Bay with five, uh, 470 receptions, 5,524 receiving yards, 41 touchdowns. He was really Rodgers' favorite um, target on many plays. And I got to admit, man, there were just some major plays against Chicago. It happened last year. It happened back into the playoffs where we were going to lose. And he hit Cobb on a short pass through the middle, and it was six. And it sounded like this. And from eight yards back, Cobb is going to bring it back. And the rookie breaking tackles on his way into Saints territory. And the second round draft choice goes all the way for a touchdown. From the 32-yard line. Over the middle. That is caught. Here's Cobb. The rookie inside the 10. Touchdown Packers. Here. He gets the inside release. Gets completely turned around. And all Aaron Rodgers needs is a knock. Rodgers gets the snap, blitzes on, Rodgers scrambles He's left, winds up, rainbow. Cobb. He's got Cobb at the 10 to the 5, yes! to the end zone, touchdown, and a dagger! Oh my goodness, an NFC North Division Championship dagger of 47 yards! He was just a great player, and uh, it's going to be a cowboy, which hurts my spleen on so many levels. And of course, Clay Matthews is going to be a ram. But I can only hope that someday they'll come back. Um, I'm wearing 18 and 87 all off season, um, and 52. Uh, I just I don't know what it's going to be like next year. It's a totally new team. And then the NFL came out with new kickoff rules, and I'm going to play it while I say it. But basically, you're going to have five players on each side of the ball. Um, no running start. They have to be in a I think a three point stance. At least two players outside the numbers. At least two players between the numbers and the hash. At least eight players in 15-yard setup zone on the receiving team, and only three players can remain outside. No blocking zone between the ball and them, so it's like a 15 yards, you can't do it. Only a two-person wedge is what they're showing. Oh, on no wedge drop blocking. They can have the two people back there, but they can't block anybody in a wedge formation. Uh, they should just start handing the fucking ball off at the 25-yard line. Um, they just just should do it. Other lighter fares. Looks like the AFL, uh, the, re- the um, Alliance Football is done. It's pretty much done. They Their investors are looking to bail. They're not making money. It's been exciting. I've watched Memphis win a couple games, but uh, it's just, I don't think we have the desire for spring football. I mean, XFL supposedly starts next year. Who the hell knows? But anyway, then we go into our This is America. This is a split one. I'm going to do the soundbite for the second one, but I, I just want to remember Ilian Omar. To confront hate and bigotry in all forms, we must understand that they are all related. We cannot call out one form of hate while turning a blind eye to another. Then the New Zealand Moss chairman. I'm going to play it. I'm not afraid to say I feel Mossad is behind our church shooting. I will not mince words. I stand here and I say I have a very, very strong suspicion 
that there is some group behind him and I am not afraid to say I feel Mossad is behind this. That's the truth! Israel is behind it! That's right! You gonna con- freaking confront that, Chica? I don't think so. Uh, addressing this unbelievable that a community leader unashamedly blamed Israel for Christ Church terror attack in front of 1,000 people, a crowd members loudly agreed, and there was no challenge to the conspiracy. Free Beacon, Omar criticized Pelosi for condemning BDS at APAC. We must also be vigilant against bigotry, bigoted or dangerous ideologies masquerading as policy, and that includes BDS. Pelosi said at APAC, Omar, a vocal supporter of the sanction against Israel, responded later in the day by telling reporters on Capitol Hill that the BDS movement was an exercise of free speech. A condemnation for people they want to exercise their First Amendment rights is beneath any leader, and I hope that we find a better use of language when we are trying to speak as a member of Congress that are sworn to protect the Constitution, she said. She's an Islamist. Next article. So Ilian Omar has been holding secret fundraisers for groups that support terrorism. Omar has been holding a series of secret fundraisers with groups that have been tied to support a terrorism appearance that has been closed to the press and hidden from public view. The content of these speeches given to predominantly Muslim audience remain unknown, prompting some of Omar's critics to express concerns about the type of rhetoric she's using before these paying audience participating in light of lawmakers' repeated use of anti-Semitism tropes. Omar recently spoke in Florida at the private event hosted by Islamic Relief. A charity organization long said to have deep ties to groups that advocate terrorism against Israel. Over the weekend, she will appear at another private event in California for Care California PAC, a political action committee affiliated with the Council of American Islamic Relations, a group that was named as an unindicted co-conspirator in a massive terror funding event. Omar's appearance in those closed-door forums is raising eyebrows, but the media ignores it. Then we had Bob Bland... At the repost, he reposted a message from social justice activist Jesse Rabanowitz about the mass shootings at Pair of Mosque in Church, Christ Church, New Zealand. The shocking and bizarre screed blamed Islamophobia for the more than four dozen deaths at the hands of a crazy shooter, but in a way that laid the blame squarely at the feet of the critics of anti-Semitism and the American Jewish establishment. She removed it, of course. Then Aaron Ostrowski, a serious Twitter support jack. This use user calls for stoning the Jews, and you say that does not violate Twitter rules against abusive behavior. I read the tweet. The same person, I got an email from Twitter supporter, Twitter legal, whatever it is, wanted me to take down a link to video Super Mexican because it made fun of ISIS. That is back-to-back tweets. He reports somebody for saying stone the Jews, and he gets told to take down making fun of ISIS. Omar, the left, has a serious problem with anti-Semitism, and nobody seems to fucking care. So you then say, how bad must This Is America be if that wasn't the This Is America worst soundbite? Well... Pro-life 85-year-old man gets beaten down by a Planned Parenthood supporter, and nobody in the media covered it. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. 
This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. I got the strap. Abortion advocate beats 85-year-old man after stealing his pro-life sign. Old man, stay on the ground. Stay on the ground, old man, unless you want to get hurt. An elderly man in a peaceful pro-life prayer vigil outside of San Francisco PPFA clinic was physically assaulted by an abortion advocate this month on two separate occasions, one of which was captured in disturbing video footage. He, or the man, excuse me, aged 85 and his pro-life banner in support of the 40 Day for Life campaign stolen by an unidentified male abortion advocate. When the pro-lifer attempted to get his property back from the activist, he was severely beaten and threatened. The video footage shows a thief, when first approached by the pro-lifer, throwing his bicycle at the 85-year-old, knocking him down to the ground. Then, while he was on the pavement, the Planned Parenthood supporter continuously kicks him in the legs and back and shouts, Old man, stay on the ground, stay on the ground, old man, unless you want to get hurt. Footage of two attacks, both this attack on the elderly man and one attack on another pro-lifer that occurred just two days prior, was likely captured by surveillance cameras outside PPFA, but the abortion giant reportedly will not cooperate in this regard with authorities. Life News noted, according to the pro-life outlet, the same perpetrator threw a sign, table, and pro-life literature into the street during a pro-life vigil with the San Francisco 40-Day Alive campaign two days before the attack. He knocked two men to the ground during the incident as well, including those same elderly pro-lifer he attacked again on Thursday. The vicious attack again against our elderly client is intolerable said Life Legal Senior Counsel Allison Aranda. The legal team is representing the elderly pro-life victim. We will pursue all legal avenues to see, see that justice is served and that the freedom to speak freely on the public sidewalk without threat of physical violence is prote- protected, no matter the message. As a former prosecutor, I trust the San Francisco District Attorney Office will pursue charges too. We are appalled by this brazen assault against an elderly man who was simply exercised his First Amendment right on a public sidewalk noted the Life Executive Director Alexandria, Alexandra Snyder. Life Legal will not sit by and allow the escalation of violence to continue. We are working to ensure the pro-life advocates are protected. Sean Carney, President and CEO of 40 Days for Life, said that pro-lifers, including the elderly victim, will not be deterred. The pro-life movement uses science, medical alternatives, and comp- compassion to change hearts on this crucial issue. Planned Parenthood supporters have resorted to intimidation, insults, and violence. They have a long history of not granting dignity to the unborn and now apparently applies to 85-year-olds also. Two weeks ago, a pro-life activist in Massachusetts was punched in the face while he was demonstrating at an abortion clinic, and we already covered that on the show. Yeah. I I just, I don't even know what to say about that shit. Unrelated, and I couldn't fit it in because we didn't do anything on uh, illegal aliens, but or a violent left today. I decided to swap it out. Illegal alien kills Alabama school chief 
school teacher last Thursday, an illegal alien in Mobile, Alabama, crossed the highway median and killed a local private school teacher in a head-on collision. The alien, 16-year-old, was initially denied asylum upon crossing the Mexico-Arizona border in 2017, but was nonetheless free in the nation interior, despite his having also received a final deportation order. The left just on the wrong side of history on these issues. And what does it say about our media once again? What does it say? If an 85-year-old pro-death abortion person, woman's right activist, got beat the fuck down on a street corner, do you think it would lead the news? Sure as fucking hell it would. But no, we don't cover it. If the left, for some reason, was against illegal immigrants coming and taking people of color's fucking jobs, which makes total sense to me, that would be the argument, but it's not, because they want the voting block. Do you think just illegal aliens running from the fucking law, killing people? I mean, that's just another example of all the people that die, all the monetary damages that are incurred by American citizens at the hands of people that shouldn't even fucking be here, plus all the goddamn money we spend to feed them, clothe them, house them, transport them. The freebies they get in places like California, I just don't understand how you could be for that. Seriously. In this day and age. It's just a no-brainer, but... Unfortunately, the left seems not to use their brain. Science, biology, and a whole lot of other fucking things. So, that's our podcast. Um, let me do my spiel. So, this wraps another episode of Flavor Polytech Podcast. Please feel free to share this with your family and friends. Any comments about the track or suggestions for segments to FOPPODCAST at gmail.com. Fop. Podcast gmail.com. Get the show on SoundCloud, Podcast Static, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Check out the Facebook page at F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T or Twitter page at FOP Tony Reed. Our next podcast, as stated, will be the following Sunday, which is going to be the 7th. Yes. The 7th of April, year of our Lord, 2019. Hopefully by then we'll clear up and not be talking about the same old shit. What do you think? I think that'd be pretty fucking cool. Um, once again, got to be going to Gatlinburg. I'm sure I'll do a little synopsis on Gatlinburg again. I've never been there in the spring. Uh, I've only been there in the winter. Every November we go. But um, <clears throat> it'll be interesting to see it in the spring. I, I just hope it's going to be the weather they're saying. It's supposed to be cool. Um, in the 50s, we're going to go see the Dolly Stampede. And yes, liberals, I'm going to sit on the south. I picked the South just to be on the Southern side, just to see what it's like. It's it's one of those, uh, like a rodeo show. You get chow, and you have the North and South, and I guess it's interactive where the North says stuff, the South says stuff. So me and the wife said, well, we'll do the South this time, and then we'll do the North next time, because, you know, we do live in the South, and we'll just see what it's like. But that doesn't mean I'm a Confederate motherfucker, or I want the South to rise again. It's just I thought it would be more interesting aspect of what it is. Um so we're going to see that, and then we're going to go to the Hatfield McCoys with the comedy, so it'd be kind of fun. Just get out there and see something different. Um, I hope you all have a great rest of the week and weekend, and next week, uh, be safe. Uh, enjoy the spring weather we're getting. Take your Claritin like I am, and things will be well. Um, 
And as always, disconnect disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yes, because pretty soon you'll be married to somebody for 32 years and it'll be just a blip, because that's where I'm at right now. Thank you all for listening, folks. You take care and tune in on the 7th for another exciting episode of Flyer Over Politics. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count.